Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that A for Atypical, known as Last Action Hero. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema letter by letter. For each episode of a film miniseries topic, we cover six films that fit either a C for classic, I for an indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas here, um, or actually I am the character Jack Shredder uh, from the Last Action Podcast series. Uh, and that Thomas Moran will also appear later on in the episode by himself. <laughs> uh, and hi, I'm I'm Brian, but I'm actually I'm the famous comedian Arnold Braunschweiger. Oh, perfect! Oh, I can't believe there's another special guest. Truly, we would want to have on the show, but not that guest, not right now, because we do have a guest, our first ever guest on the show here, Brian. Yeah. We'll go ahead and introduce him. Um, you might know him from our home at Talk Film Society, editor in chief, uh, a guy who. Uh, puts us podcasters to shame. We take breaks. We're going to be taking a break after this episode. <laughs> That's not his deal. That is not Mr. Marcelo J. Pico's deal. Marcelo, thank you for opening up your busy schedule to be our first ever okay. guest. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here, and I'm here as myself. I'm playing Marcelo J. Pico. So you're at the premiere for the podcast where we're going to bump in. Exactly. <laughs> Just like, oh, I can't yeah. believe it. Planet Hollywood, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my wife likes Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Amazing. We'll talk about all that. But yes, Marcelo, uh, in case you weren't aware based on his clever, subtle references that we were all doing here, um, we are talking about Last Action Hero tonight as our atypical, which I would argue fits that. A very atypical blockbuster, especially for the time. I mean, later on, this is more a dime a dozen now with your Deadpools and all your meta things. But uh, this is back in the day, 30 years ago almost to the day. Jesus. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, it was 30 years a few weeks ago. In June, um, yeah. Which, yeah, in June, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it came upon us, the 30th anniversary. It, 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 I know we'll get into it. I know this whole episode is about this movie, but it, it doesn't feel 30 years old. That's what I'll say. Yes. Very true, very true. Uh, but yeah, before we get into the movie, though, there's one big thing we have to talk about right off the bat, because it's very crucial to this discussion, which is... Uh, the career of Arnold Schwarzenegger, very crucial big, to this whole big guy too. Because this is a bit, I mean, very big guy, obviously. Yes, um, and I'm curious, especially from Brian, because Brian and I, we've talked about this. There's an age difference, so I'm very yeah. curious. What is your relationship with Arnold Schwarzenegger in particular? When I was growing up, he was kind of doing like the Expendables. Like that was kind of the era that I unfortunately had to grow up with of, of his career. And then, you know, I went back and did. I you know watch like Terminator and kind of the the, the classic ones and like just last year I watched a bunch of uh, just the ones that I hadn't seen like I had never seen Total Recall and I watched like The Running Man Commando and just those ones that you don't really you know aren't the sort of big 
Arnold uh, movies, but he's, you know Arnold has various yeah, scenes, for sure. yes, he does. There's yes, but um, yeah, he's he's just I don't know. He's a classic movie star. I always kind of like just thought of him that way, and you know, you, you he's also just such a funny man. <laughs> You know, just watch his movies. He he he's funny when he doesn't isn't meaning to be necessarily, but I, he's such a classic movie star and a classic action star, especially. Which I I love him. I love him in movies. He's he's just so great to see. And uh, Marcelo, our guest, what about what is your relationship with Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, I'm very curious. Yeah, I mean, I grew up when he was the biggest movie star uh, around. Um, I remember vividly one of the first experiences i had watching a movie movie was watching the first terminator it's like that was one of the first vhs's my parents had um and it played you know non-stop because i i love the first terminator even as a kid and then yeah t2 was huge in my house um growing up and then when i was a teenager i, I yeah gravitated towards like his uh his other work like total recall like that was favorite of mine back in the day and yeah i saw him grow into he became the governor (laughs) that happened for a bit and then he became you know uh gradually what he he is now sort of like a postmodern uh you know uh uh, action star who is still dabbling in it and but you know he's he's i think he himself has come to terms with how he's kind of like grown beyond you know what he was in the 90s which is good i think and I haven't seen that that documentary that that uh, delves into his life. I'm interested in that, but I think he's uh, you know controversies aside. I think I think he's great. Yeah, and I was happy to rewatch this because it reminded me of just how great of a superstar he was, and he still is, and how great of an actor he is. So yeah, I'm totally a big fan of Schwarzenegger. This is very interesting because I'm literally like sandwiched right in between the two of you because like <laughs> I grew up basically during the period where like. I was watching the first Arnold movies mostly on, like, DVD or VHS or whatever. Um, So when I was a kid, I was seeing stuff like Terminator movies and all these other things. I'm like, oh, my God, he's amazing. I love this guy. Why isn't he so big? Like, everyone knows he's, like, so big, right? And I think the weird thing is he was, but at this time when he was making stuff like, you know, uh, End of Days and The Sixth Man or whatever, you know, right before... The Sixth Day, sorry. Uh, But right before, like, he became governor, basically. He was mostly known as, like, a parody of himself, which is very interesting given this particular movie. Like, I think more people who were my age knew him from, like, parodies on, say, The Simpsons, Rainer Wolfcastle, who was also weirdly Schwarzenegger in the movie for some reason. It still weirds me out. Just like, it's Rainer Wolfcastle, we know this. The Simpsons have been on for fucking 20 years, whatever. Um, That, and then... um, you know, like Animaniacs had, like, the big dog guy that was buff, Hans and Franz and SNL. Like, it, it, and it's interesting, because I think that was all obviously a thing ever since he started, pretty much, with, like, Terminator. There were parodies of Arnold. But I think, weirdly, it ramps up in the wake of this particular movie, which I think is a good transition. Let's play the trailer here for Last Action Hero. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater! Slater, you hear me? This is the lieutenant governor. Slater, here's what I need. The governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. <laughs> Jack Slater. Four. But tonight, a magic ticket. It's a passport to another world. Will get Danny closer to the action. 
than anyone ever dreamed. Holy cow! I'm in the movie! Who the hell are you? Don't oh, shoot me! I'm Danny Madigan, I'm a kid! And you're going with him. Who is this twerk? And where is that smile on his face? I don't even know this kid. To a world that's bigger than life. This ticket is magic, and it really works. And better than real. You really believe that you're inside a movie, don't you? Yes! Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater. Whoa! This hero stuff has its limits. And Jack Slater is... Everybody down! Down! The last action hero. The big ticket for 93. I'll be back. You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do. So, Last Action Hero uh, came out June eighteenth, nineteen ninety three. From you know, we're gonna avoid controversial figures to Andrew who've done anything wrong. Um, John <laughs> McTiernan, uh, who is another fascinating, fascinating person, just in terms of like the career we could go on about, just like because this comes after his eighties, where you know he is done. Predator, Die Hard, um, then uh, early 90s, you've got uh, Hunt for the Red October, and something like that. Amazing, uh, Medicine Man, which isn't great, but has a cameo as a VHS in this movie <laughs> at one point. Um, but then, yeah, he does this, which is, um, in case you're not aware, sort of a parody of action cinema that he had kind of helped create in this era, sort of in the 80s. And I guess before we get into the movie, just briefly, McTiernan, I mean, we have thoughts. One of the most fascinating director careers of all time. He's such a fascinating director. I, I it's weird because I've I have only seen his action movies mm-hmm. uh, of of like that classic period. So you know all the ones you just mentioned up until Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is which is Die Hard three, right? Yes, it's the weird one with like Sam Jackson and like uh, who's the villain in that one? It's um it's Jeremy Irons as the brother of Alan Rickman's character. Yes. <laughs> Um, a great movie, but yes, he's, he's one of my favorite action directors of that period. Uh, I just, his sort of style of, of just like, his action scenes are just filled with just this, just, you know, gunshots and glass and like paper flying everywhere. Just so like, it's chaotic. It's just absolute chaos. And he's just so great at what he, what he did. Well, he was great at what he did at the time. And he may yeah, still be coming I, back. There's those rumors now that he's like out of prison. He'll be man. doing a new movie, allegedly. But I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious to hear what you guys' thoughts are on, on McTiernan. I mean, for me, I love the man. He directed one of my favorite movies of all time, Die Hard, which I still think is the greatest action movie ever. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, it, um, he's a figure who I haven't seen all of his work. I should see all of his work. I love the man so much, um, but I, I don't know. Like from what I've seen, it's just he has this distinct style that sort of captured like uh, the '90s, uh, the the late '80s and '90s um, action genre, and I love it. Uh, kind of what you were saying, Brian. It's like it, it's practical. Like you could like see the effects on screen; they're all real. Uh, the glass, the paper, everything. Like, to me, that's him, and I think other filmmakers. Uh, in the late 80s or 90s, like tried to replicate that sort of sense of, you know, practical a- action cinema that McTiernan is perfect at. And you definitely see it in Last Action Hero. And 
I love him. So I'll mention this later too. It breaks my heart that um, you know he went through a lot of shit. Uh, you know, going to prison. <laughs> now he's out of prison. And I was listening to the commentary with him. Uh, um, for uh, Sony released uh, Last Action Hero on 4K like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released a disc, surprisingly, because like, yeah, th- th- this movie has always been seen as like a big bomb, and because of the cult following, because there's like a petition or something signed that said, "Hey, this movie needs proper release, like on physical media." So they finally gave it a physical media release with a 4K disc, and John McTiernan does a commentary uh, for the movie, like you know, uh, about a few months before the disc came out. So it's like. It's modern day John McTiernan, um, and he sounds a little, a little tired. <laughs> I, I do feel bad for him. He, he, he looks back at the movie and thinks, oh, I could have done it better, guys. And um, I, I want him to be back. I, I, I want those rumors to be true that he'll make another movie because I love the man. I One of the best action directors ever. So, yeah, I'm a big McTier- uh, McTiernan fan. Yeah, I mean, I'll also say that, like, as I mentioned before, the earlier movies, the, that trilogy of Predator... Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October. I just, I love that. That is an amazing run of movies. To where it's like, dude, yeah. do whatever you want. And then he did do Last Action Hero, which is such a fascinating movie that we'll talk about in detail. And then afterward, I mean, there's not a lot, sadly, because it's like after that, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I agree, great. The Easily the second best and only other good Die Hard sequel, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. And then uh, the Thomas Crown Affair remake, which I've heard is great. 13th Warrior, which is such a weird movie. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. That's a fascinating movie with, like, I, have I would argue bigger production problems than this movie that. reported to have. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's what I've read about that movie, yeah. 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 Unfortunately. Then the Rollerball remake, which I've heard is not great. And then the basic, the movie with Ashley Judd and Samuel Jackson, which I remember seeing in a theater. Um, and I just thought was very boring. And I don't know if I could ever go back to it because I was a kid, basically, when that happened. Um, but, yeah, it's been 20 years since he's made a movie. But, of course, I, and I think, sadly, regardless of our thoughts about the movie, the impact of this movie definitely caused, I would argue, was, like, the beginning of that downfall for him. And I can also even argue, like, Schwarzenegger with not just Predator, but, like, this is prime Schwarzenegger to me between, um, I would say, like, Predator through to this movie. I think, uh, or even like True Lies, even like right after this, I would argue he's like that's the peak Schwarzenegger, that sort of seven or so year run, and then after that we start getting like you know your juniors or your erasers or end of days, and it's just it's fascinating that it, this movie, which I think is very misunderstood, is admittedly like one of those great Hollywood quote unquote bombs that we like get I don't know two or three of those a week now in, in modern parlance. <laughs> <laughs> It is such as I mean, watching this movie today, especially, feels so interesting because it, it feels like so many movies are doing the the meta commentary on you know whatever genre they're trying to do. Yeah, you know, we see it a lot in superhero movies. We see it a lot in like in in newer action movies, and yet it's so interesting to watch this movie and think that like this movie's doing all of that meta stuff and it's doing a lot of like. You know, my Zoom background right now is the, the 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 scene where they go to the video store and they see the Stallone Terminator Two like standee, which is such a it's such a weird like you know joke to put in there, especially considering their whole kind of you know kind of rivalry going on in in the eighties and nineties. And yeah, it, it's such a it's such a fascinating movie to watch today. Like uh, like Thomas was saying, it's like you. <laughs> 
there are plenty of bombs, you know, nowadays. And uh, I, I I was gonna say, you know, we get a quantum mania, which is a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, you know, sorry to say, no, it is. No, this, it is, is. A, this is an anti Ant Man and the Lost Quantumania <laughs> yeah. podcast. Okay, Quite thank you. Yeah. Um, but like the 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 big you know swing and a miss that was. It's like this swing, like I appreciate and. I want to go back in time and kind of like, you know, be there at this moment when it premiered, when it was out and like be a defender of it. (laughs) That's how much I like the movie now. It's like, I want, I I want to go back and say, no, you guys are all wrong. I'm going to go see this like five times in theaters, which is what I do. You would be on a, I don't know, like what, 93, like a a user net channel. It's like, guys, I saw it again last night for the sixth time. Uh, everybody else is wrong. The uh, the things it does, like the, the meta nature of it, I still think it works. I think it's still a good commentary on, um, you know, action films and our relation to film. And yeah, uh, I I, th- I think it works now. And I just don't. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, I understand why people didn't get it. I, I do that on one hand. But on the other hand, I'm like. I can't. I can never trust. Half the time, I can't trust you know, film-going audience people because hey, we just had Oppenheimer. Um, I guess a few weeks you know ago when this comes out, but hey, people made the right choice there, picking you know two great movies to see. But sometimes they don't do that, and I think this is very worthy of an audience to go you know and and go and say hey, this is actually good. So I don't know, but hey, now time has I think you know one out so i think people now recognize this as an actual good movie yeah for sure i think a big part of that is kind of what brian was referencing earlier which is just like a lot of people do the meta thing now post like you know the 2010s this just became even more of a thing with like big blockbusters but i think the problem with meta now is it's like you know your deadpools where it's like yeah you're referencing this is like a movie but like are you going to do anything fucking cool with that, man? Like, you're just... Like, <laughs> that's such an infinite playground to, like, leave it. I, I think this is very closely tied to another one of my favorite movies of this era, uh, especially big studio movies, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, uh, which is a zanier oh, yeah. movie, crazier madcap movie. But uh, at the same time, this, I think, is... I have a few quibbles with the way you can see some of, like, the, you know, the rewrites and the production problems on display a bit in this. But I think largely... It's just a fascinating experiment to do at this particular time, where, like, I think the my biggest trouble is, I guess, like, I love McTiernan's work in this, but, like, I could see a Paul Verhoeven version of this movie being, like, the yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10 best version, necessarily. Uh, but McTiernan I, at least still adds, like, a fun sort of groundedness to it. And he even says in the commentary, he goes... He does admit, you know, touching on the, 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 the production problems he had. It's like it was one of those things where the studio wanted this movie to be the biggest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, that's trouble, right? Especially with this kind of movie that tries to be meta in, you know, saying what is the action genre? Like well, how, how ridiculous it is. And it's, it's in the tone that I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's like McTiernan is a great action director. But he, he admits himself on the commentary even. He's like, I should have maybe went harder on the comedy. I should have maybe, you know, uh, made it a more like ironic tone or lessen the seriousness. I think that's what it's missing. It's not perfect. I still like it a lot. But yeah, the tone shifts and everything. It 
I don't know. And, and then we see a few years later, like Scream does it perfectly with that genre, with like horror movies. I think that's what this movie was trying to aim for, you know, and Wes Craven got it, you know, a right. few years later. Or, or so. even like uh, yeah. even like after that, I would say another big thing. I think the best people doing any kind of meta contextual like humor in mainstream movies today is, you know, Lord Miller. I don't think you get a Lord Miller oh, yeah. without sort of this being sort of a guiding light, I think. And yeah, I, I think it's. It's fascinating, but I'm curious, Brian, do you have any of these problems, like, tonally? Because I think you're the biggest, maybe, defender of the movie. Yeah, I really love... I, I think this is this goes kind of toe-to-toe with kind of any of those classic, you know, 80s, 90s action, action movies that it's that it's kind of, kind of poking fun at. But I think, like, the, the problem I have with a lot of the sort of meta-commentary of today is it's sort of, like, it, it's them pointing out, like the plot of the movie is stupid or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. you know, we get this. But by doing that, I think the the modern movies, not all of them, of course, but, you know, most of them kind of will just deflate any of the tension or any of the stakes that you have. And it's like, well, if if the characters don't care about this, why why do I care about this? And this is a movie that's kind of going like, hey, we all kind of know the the sort of, you know, all these action movies, they kind of have like a, you know, a formula that they're following kind of. And we all kind of see that. And the movie is kind of going like, well, yeah, but who cares? It's a fun action movie. And these these things are very, they're important. And I, I, I love the way that this movie treats, you know, that sort of love of movies, even with something as silly as like a dumb action movie. But it, you know, it. Right. we'll talk later about sort of the seventh seal references and stuff like that which is <laughs> yes. yeah um, but i mean i i'll agree with you and i think another big reason why at the same time it's like saying yeah yeah whatever this movie but i think a big credit to arnold i think this is genuinely one of his best performances because he plays all the action stuff that we love about arnold it's yeah. great but then once like the real world transition happens or like it's even right before that it's the scene where they go to his, like, second apartment that he has, which I love. Just like, oh, I have this rinky-dink apartment. It's like a double apartment. <laughs> it's like, this isn't <laughs> bad for, like, just having your house blown up. This is really good. Uh, but anyway, um, he is just like, oh, like, what's going on with my life? Everything's fucking falling apart. I have no relationship with my daughter. Uh, I pay some pharmacist to call <laughs> the fucking police station <laughs> so I can make fun of her and then I'm like oh what the fuck am I doing though <laughs> this is such a waste of my fucking time and I think that makes all the stuff later on when it comes to the new world and it's just like one of my favorite bits of this movie is him talking to recent Academy Award winner Mercedes Rule and just being like I never talked to a woman before I can't believe yeah, it it's, so it's nice <laughs> <laughs> okay don't get me wrong I mean like I it's not necessarily like I think the problems with the tone uh, is like a major like negative for me, but I think, you know, I I, I wonder like because I know Shane Black um, came came in and rewrote the script um, and you know th- threw in the Shane Blackness I could feel it and if he was the director I think it would have been a five out of five but mm-hmm. for me right now it's a four point five out of five I still think Matiernan does does like amazing work in this and to your point Brian it's like when you were you know, talking about the tone and how modern day movies don't take things as seriously as they should. I think to like, I'm, I'm going to be calling out, you know, modern day movies in this episode, <laughs> it, it turns out, but like something like Renfield that I'm like, Oh, it could have been something better. Yeah. It could have been like a, like more straight horror versus like a, like a comedy with, I like Aquafina. Don't get me wrong. 
<laughs> but what bugs me about that movie, it's like there are those scenes where the char- characters go literally go, oh, that just happened. Yeah. And I'm tired of it. <laughs> I'm tired of it. Yeah. This movie has like none of that, really. It, it, it does have those like, like you know, those winks and those like, oh, you know, you're in a movie. But not, nothing as like Aquafina-esque as what happens in Renfield. Again, I like Aquafina, don't get me wrong. But in that movie in particular... I wish the tone were a bit slanted more towards like straight horror than what it actually was. But yeah, and this movie does that sort of uh, genre balance between comedy and action here like better than I think other movies do. With the Renfield thing, I completely agree with you because even, or at least somewhat, because like I would want the fun, like it's a horror comedy movie about like, oh, this guy becomes Renfield psychic. That sounds amazing in theory. But the problem is kind of like what Brian said and what Marcellus said as well, like the that happened humor, but also it's one of these new comedies where like I want the return to the studio comedy, you know, but so much of it now is just like, oh, we need to have like a shootout or a gunfight and it looks like shit. And it's like, I don't expect the oh, comedy yeah, to have yeah. the make be the best yeah. looking like filmmaking, but it takes some skill and like McTiernan at least knows how to do that, which makes the action stuff funnier. Honestly, to me. And also, on that point, like, yeah, those action shootouts in Renfield, terrible. But then, on the other hand, what irritates me is, like, they have, like, amazing horror effects in Renfield. Yes. yes. And yeah. it could have been something great. Like, a man's face literally, like, melts off, like, in The Fly 2. And I'm like, God, I want more of that. But anyway, enough of Renfield talk. <laughs> yes. Stop myself. I will just say, like, kind of, like, sort of as, like, the prime example of of sort of what I guess we're talking about a bit is is the way that the movie handles like the when they go to the sort of LAPD building that's like yes. I don't know this has like all the all these action heroes I guess um, and like they're in the the office and then the like Danny DeVito cat detective <laughs> cop or whatever shows up yeah. and then the kid is like there's a talking cat and Arnold's like. Yeah, and he's gonna come into work tomorrow. Like it is that sort of thing. Like, yeah, who cares? We're we've already seen it. Let's just move on. Um, yeah, or even just the small little bits. Like, I love um, Frank McRae, who's a great character actor who plays the chief of police here. Oh yes, so, yeah. love, love him, seeing him in movies and him doing that cliche that we're all were just like, oh, I'm the sh- the chief who yells at the guy. It's like I need your badge and your gun, but he just like commits to it in the best way possible <laughs> to such a ridiculous yes. degree. It's so fun. But at the same time, there's that bit where, like, Austin O'Brien, the kid, like, says, oh, but your whole relationship, because I know how you really feel. Because <laughs> that whole elaborate story that he goes on, just like, <laughs> how did he know that? You said you never tell anybody. <laughs> like, there's a, a weird relationship still going on in the middle of this dumb joke. Yeah. And, and it, like, and all, and all of that stuff sort of, but it builds up the, the characters, and it, you know, it builds up, like, the, the Jack Slater, like, character. It, it, you know, he's a real character, even though he's a parody of the kind of stereotypical Arnie, like, hero. Yeah, I mean, okay, uh, going back to the, the, the movie world, uh, I, I want to point this out because I just made this connection in my head as, as you guys were talking. But have you guys seen Action Jackson? No. No, I, no, I have no, not. No, but... no. Um, I saw it for the first time a few months ago, actually. I It was always a blind spot for me. And... To me, that feels like a Jack Slater movie. Like, they made a Jack Slater movie in 1988. Uh, produced uh, by, the, by the same producer, uh, uh, Joel Silver, of course, who did Die Hard. And this is the Carl Weathers movie, right? From the Yes, the Carl Weathers yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's playing this action stereotype that, like, is cemented 
in the genre for for you know years after and years before it's like the most outlandish 80s action movie you've ever seen that's action jackson it never winks to the camera really and carl weathers as action jackson is this jack slitter character and like the whole movie is committed and it doesn't really play as a parody it just plays it like a, like this is an action movie you want this is these are tropes that you want it has everything that 80s action movies you think like are in one movie and that that to me they nailed that in uh this movie in like jack slater's universe and i i think it plays so well because like and this goes to um I, 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 I want to point out that I think this is the best Schwarzenegger performance I've seen, I think, um, honestly. Because I think he really commits to the role of Jack Slater and re- he really commits to that persona uh, in that movie world. And then like when he goes into the real world, like, like <laughs> he plays it like, yeah, he's like realizing that th- th- there's a little back and forth. He, um, I forget in what scene it was but he says like yeah it's like it's it's funny you guys but like i just realized like i'm fake like nothing in my life is real and i think he plays it pretty well so in in that sense like the the jack slater world i think is like perfect to me and um i guess going to to that point about like tone i think that to me is not a problem like i think everything that happens in that world is perfect i think john mctiernan knows how to shoot you know a classic 80s action movie because he's shot an 80s at least a few uh, 80s action movies so yeah in that rich in in, in, in yeah on on that side of things i think he's i think this movie's perfect in that way like it captures that quintessential 80s action movie and in terms of tone yeah you you, you, you can't beat that yeah i mean i would generally agree i think here's my thing with it um I agree, and I think that's what really works about the movie world of Jack Slater has, like, so many of his hallmarks, down to the shot where Arnold, after the big funeral happens, and he, like, has the body of the gangster hanging. The fall is literally the Alan Rickman diehard fall. It's, like, nearly shot for shot similar. But at the same time, that makes it just funnier when, like, the (laughs) this is all about a farting gangster... And he goes into the, the Brea Tar Pits <laughs> yeah. and comes out and just does he literally has just like cartoon like swiping of his eyes, just like I can't believe that happened. Yeah, what is what is <laughs> like he's a, a silent but deadly, silent but deadly, right? Yes, it, it's it, it works uh, because he has that sincerity, which I think is the big thing I love about Arnold in general. It's just like the sincerity is I think what separates him from a you know Stallone has that, but more of in a genuine dramatic way or even like Jean-Claude Van Damme, is more in the camp of an action Jackson. Like, most of his movies feel like Lionheart is that is pretty much another one, just like a lower budget. But he has a sincerity about, like, what's going on, so then when we get to the real world, it's benefited by his performance, I agree, Marcella, but also just the way even McTiernan shoots most of that stuff. Looks so, like, grimy, and, like, New York of, like, that particular, like, that weird transition point between, like, 80s New York and Giuliani, New York, that would happen. Like, it's the last <laughs> days of, like, that particular filthy New York City. My only trouble, really, is just the sort of stuff that feels the most like a 90s kids movie with, like, I love Robert Prosky. He's one of my favorite character actors. <laughs> He's fun in this movie. But sort of the, the magic, like, ticket of it all, like, there was a whole thing where the original writers for this were Zach Penn and Adam Leff were the original writers. And Zach Penn's, like, a big Hollywood screenwriter that, like, persisted pretty much to this day where like a lot of the early superhero scripts were his like Avengers and shit like that working in Hollywood for a while and he had the issue particularly with the ticket where it's just like oh this just feels like nothing we didn't explain it in our version which I could see an appeal to that but at the same time I do have at least a bit of sort of like 
a nostalgia for that particular time that benefits those sequences. Which is nothing against Austin uh, O'Brien, who we need to talk about as well, because he's our second lead, basically, of this movie. I'm curious how you all feel, because he was sort of the most controversial thing, I guess, in terms of, like, a lot of the reviews were sort of, like, hating on this fine kid actor, who was just, like, because he was in pre-hysteria, which I know, Brian, you have no idea what that is, do you? (laughs) No idea. <laughs> this was a weird VHS sort of like rainy day at school thing in like science class. Like I don't know, you're in third grade. It's May second. Fuck it. Here's prehysteria, <laughs> and it is such like it's him getting visited by a bunch of claymation dinosaurs, and he like goes into a world of claymation dinosaurs. It's weird. I don't even know what this is, by the yeah. way. <laughs> it's, it's a it's very a, obscure thing. It's got a great poster where he's like yes. posing with like these dino- like little toy dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Interesting. But yeah, how do you feel about him in this movie, Brian? I think he's really good. I, you know, I, because like I can see why a lot of people would have issues with like with him or with his performance maybe because he is kind of the 90s, you know, kid. Like I feel like every yeah kid from the 90s was just him down to that haircut that fucking yes. haircut, the jtt haircut <laughs> yeah so yeah and so like and he has the most kind of like you know he's trying to like convince jack slater that he's in a movie the whole time he's got that whole thing and he you know could get kind of grading i think but like I-, I think he's really great and i think him and him and arnie have great chemistry together and like I buy their sort of, you know, their kind of relationship, and I, their comedy's great between the two. Like, just the jokes between them are really, really funny. I, yeah, I think he's really good. I don't, I don't know if he didn't. He did he go on to act as an adult at all, or? Um, I mean, he did a couple things from what I'm seeing here. Like, he's in the prehistoric movies, of course. My Girl Two. He was in the Lawnmower Man and Lawnmower Man Two. Um, and then, yeah, like a bunch of TV show appearances over the last, like, two decades or so. Um, I don't know. But, uh, what about Marcelo? What do you think of him? Uh, I think he does a good job. And this is coming from somebody who really, uh, hate is a strong word, but hates most child actor performances in movies. I agree. Okay, maybe that's... <laughs> I, I, I know what you mean. I'm I, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll just say, let me clarify that and, 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 and leave this in the show. Uh, my hatred for child actor performances, but um, cancel something like cancel. <laughs> but something like the Goonies, I cannot stand. Yeah, I cannot stand. percent. Uh, shrieking kid actors in movies for for the most part. Sometimes uh, they're great. Sometimes they don't annoy me. Uh, Temple of Doom, uh, Kei Kwan, wonderful. I love that movie. I love his performance in that movie. And Austin O'Brien, similar here. I got a big, and I'm sure you you guys may also have gotten this, but by the end, and I think it's very clear where the inspiration comes from. By the end, I felt very, felt very Spielberg, you know, E.T., yeah. you know, the music yeah. and everything, right? Um, and I think Austin O'Brien is like, it, 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 I don't blame, uh, any of the problems I have with this movie, I don't blame it on him. Um, like, by the end, I feel for him. I feel that he's like, it, the, the, when, when he's like, taking Jack Slater to the, you know, theater and trying to get him into his, his world and like saying, uh, he's, you know, come on, you've got to do this. You got to live. He's got to live. I, f- I felt that. Right. Um, but other moments when, uh, he goes cross-eyed as the car goes into the air, cringe for me, <laughs> but that's not his fault. Like, uh, everything else. It's, I don't know. He's, he does a good job of like 
conveying that emotion as as a kid who just loves movies and loves uh, this movie character. And yeah, like Jack Slater is his ET, and um, I, I think that connection is is good between O'Brien and Schwarzenegger. So yeah, I'm defender of this guy. I I I, I, I don't uh, think negatively of his performance at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I think it's very clear from the movie, not just with like the sort of whimsical like attempting to be Amblin tone like on a surface level, but even just like with that kid's backstory, it's just like, oh, hey, he lives in New York City. His mom has to work all the time, especially at night. And he's just like alone in his apartment or alone at the movie theaters with this fucking, the only guardian being this old man who sleeps in the projector booth. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's kind of like a sad existence for him. So then when he's By just the way, like, I can relate going to the movies alone at night. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I, I just, I, I get this kid. There's like an inner sadness that they don't like touch upon explicitly, but they just like show it like the mugging scene at the beginning, I think is all you need really of like, the super sad part of it, where it's just like, oh man, this kid nearly got fucking killed in his apartment. This is terrifying. And then from there, it's like, hey, guess what, kid? You know what you earned? Movie magic trip. <laughs> That's what you earned. Go ahead, follow into the screen. And you know what? He earned it. He earned that little trip. Even if he does say, I agree with the cross-eyed thing. Or even some of the lines, like, I think the comedy sidekick thing he does is so close to working. I just think, like, the delivery's a bit off. It's just like it's so close to working for me. That whole sequence yeah. down to like the ET homage and like the weird stop motion version of him. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I just made this connection. It's like it does feel Shane Black at times, like Last Boy Scout, like you know, kid and you know, uh, um, you know, lead actor. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I do feel like that Shane Blackness in in this movie. Um, but yeah, um, last. Boy Scout does it, you know, a bit better, in my opinion, and it is a better movie, so. But at the same time, a much better version of, say, than, like, the Jacob Tremblay character in The Predator, which is, like, the bottom barrel of that. <laughs> God damn it. so bad. <laughs> uh, speaking of Troubled Productions, that yes. movie. God. All right. Anyway. <laughs> I think also, like, with this movie, a, a big thing about it, like, we should get into sort of the movie world itself and all the very over-the-top versions of all these various different characters and our cast here, besides it's, like, we gotta talk about our man. I think uh, maybe the MVP of this movie, despite how great Arnold is in it, but you can't beat Charles Dance. It's Mr. Benedict, oh, who is man. just I think oh, such God, yeah. an amazing. And this is like I don't know. This he had been stuff in the '80s, like he was in uh, one of the early, like the the Roger Moore Bonds. I think it's uh, for your eyes only. He has like a small part in. Yes, he. He was sort of like a, yes. He has, he's like one of many henchmen that's sort of positive. One of like the secondary oh, guys, but still has a prominent enough role. And I think that's the thing is that's what he was doing a lot, especially in like English productions throughout the 80s. And then this feels like such an early glimpse at like such potential for like, oh, so many great like genre performances that he did do, obviously, into like the 90s, 2000s, Game of Thrones. But also like, I wish he was doing more of these than like how he appears in like every fucking upper low budget horror movie. That pops up in your <laughs> Underworlds and some of your your other ones. Uh, like I Frankenstein, I think is the nadir of all that. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, he's amazing in this movie. I think Marcel, you would agree. I agree completely. I love Charles dance. I've barely seen any of Game of Thrones. I just know him <laughs> as uh, the guy from alien three. That's my yeah. one go-to for yep. Charles dance. Um, and also he's great in mank. I think he should have got, he's a really great uh, in more. He should have got more acclaim for, for mank, but yeah, God, he's amazing in this. 
and McTiernan says in the commentary too, like he lights up when Charles dance, like does his thing <laughs> in the movie. Um, rightfully so, because God damn, he's, he's just eating up. He understands what the movie is. He gets it. He knows what kind of villain he's playing. And yeah. And <laughs> it, it, it's again, like those tropes that they get completely right in the Jack Slater world, like a villain who has a thing and his thing is that glass eye. Yes. And I, I, I Charles Dance's performance, like with that glass eye, I, don't, I can't describe it. It works. Like <laughs> visually, like he understands his character. He understands what he is. He, the movie, everything. So yeah, perfect Charles Dance performance uh, in this. Uh, perfect all timer like villain, uh, you know, action genre villain performance too. Yeah, especially because I think the most clever stuff I think with the movie world kind of involves him in terms of his whole idea of just like. Oh god, I'm a second banana henchman to like this fucking guy, uh, yeah. Anthony Quinn, who's great in this movie. Uh, very <laughs> yeah. much making fun of Sicilian people, but you know we're good. He's, he's good. <laughs> he does it well. I'm not gonna. This is a, you let uh, it go. Yeah, it's not too long after the movie Mobsters. I don't know if there's anyone who's seen this movie, but with like Christian Slater and all them, he plays like a literally a mob boss who's like, "Hey, I'm eating spaghetti over here." It's like so ridiculous, <laughs> but whatever. I'm good with it. And I think he like the fact that Charles Dance has to, like be the second banana in this. Guy and he's like, I fucking hate this existence. This is so dumb. I want to get the fuck out of here. And he gets his chance, and he becomes a weirdly intimidating force, despite like admittingly the fun stuff. Like um, when he finds out like weird greaser monkey guy who's just like, yeah, I'll help you out. What's up? And then he shoots him, just like I shot a man, and I want to confess. And there's just like a guy's like, yeah. shut up over there. <laughs> <laughs> it also it also just helps that Charles dance like. He just looks kind of evil a bit. Like, he's got that sort of evil Englishman kind of thing going on. And, like, yeah, Marcel, like you said, like, it's sort of that thing of, like, villain, glass eye. That's all you need. Like, it's sort of, it's it's, it's almost perfect. But, like, I, I also just love that he is sort of, like, the lackey for this italian mobster who also just like he doesn't get any of like the these the sort of like sayings right or like just like what what's one of the ones that he says oh there, there's one which is like i'm sorry i feel like a fourth wheel and it's like it's a fifth wheel. Like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and, and is yeah i i also just love the sort of like almost red herring of like you think that that the what's his name like vivaldi you think he's gonna be the sort of villain and then it's it's, it's sort of actually charles dance he reveals and the sort of third act outside the world which is we'll, we'll get to that but um yeah charles dance rules it, it was it's funny because i actually like i probably like knew of charles dance because of game of thrones like i saw him and right. i was like who is this fucking guy um and then like, yeah seeing him in other movies is great and yeah i agree with you thomas like just because he was in like the Godzilla, like the the bad Godzilla movie, the new one, with the King of the Monsters. Monsters. King of the Monsters. Yeah, that one's bad. Um, but he's great, and it is interesting that he does he does Last Action Hero like a year after Alien Three. And in, if I remember correctly, in Alien Three, isn't he like the sort of sympathetic figure in that that sort of? Yeah, it's to me, it's a great moment in the movie where it's like right after I think uh, his character and Ridley have sex. Right. And he's like, yeah, I, basically saying, I'm going to be here this entire time. Don't worry. And then the alien eats. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a perfect moment, Alien 3. But, yeah, he's 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 great in that. And I just, just to touch on uh, that and Mank, like, I love that uh, Fincher worked with Charles Dance in Alien 3 and then years later gave him, like, a, a, a great supporting 
uh, character role in Mank. Like, I, I love That's that. That's interesting. And, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, of course, you know, he's one of many great figures who pop up here. Um, at least great actors who pop up in here. Some of these people are awful, um, but uh, one person in particular. <laughs> um, but, you know, another one, one of my favorite character actors who pops up in here, uh, Tom Noonan as the Ripper. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Who, it's just one of my favorites where, like, that's a guy who, he did a lot of these kind of roles. Like, he was the villain in RoboCop 2 not too long before this. Like, this was kind of during a bit where he was going into mainstream acting. But he's such a fascinating, weird actor. Like, I I think one of my favorite performances of his is definitely, say, in uh, not too long before this, Monster Squad, speaking of Shane Black. He's one oh, of my yeah. favorite Frankensteins, I would say. That's also, for your Goonies comment earlier, Marcelo, uh, I think that's the way better version of the Goonies. Fuck Goonies, yeah. I got Monster Squad. That's the way better version of it. And his, I agree. And his Frankenstein is so like tragic and sympathetic and wonderful. But at the same time, I love seeing interviews with him from like that movie, or even around this time where he's just like a hundred percent method actor guy talking about like, yeah, I'm Frankenstein in the Frankenstein makeup. <laughs> like he treats all his roles seriously. Even this one where he's playing just like a weird combination of like a slasher villain and an '80s uh, action hero villain that like so works. And even like when he pops up also as himself. And just like what, I'm here. And like, <laughs> like, just did. Get from. Uh, but yeah, amazing. I love the design of his character with like the makeup and also that prop of the axe. Like, just genuinely works as like one of my favorite sort of like iconic props for like a villain character to have. Um, and his raincoat and all that other bullshit. It's so fun. Yeah, he has such a like. He's he looks so straight. Like even if you see him like normal, you're kind of like, oh, who is this guy? He looks so like unique and interesting and like. Yeah, and he's so, like, he does so many weird performances where he'll do, like, he's in, like, the two, like, Charlie Kaufman films, like, Anomalisa yes. and Synecdoche, New York, and, like, you know, in, like, The House of the Devil, like, you know, showing up yeah. there as, like, as literally. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's such a weird actor. I, my favorite performance of his, as much as I do love him in both Charlie Kaufman films, I I, I love him as, as Dollarhide in Manhunter. Oh, yes. Yeah, that movie is is incredible. I love that movie. He rules. Yeah, I love love him. Yeah, I was going to bring up um Manhunter uh because uh, I mean, uh, um yeah, my favorite Tom Newman performance is him as Francis Dollarhide too. But I also have to shout out like um he was in Heat, you know. Yes. I, he's always this yeah. he's always this character actor who you know cuz like he's just so distinctive in like how how unusual he looks and i love him don't get me wrong but yeah i think this is why he gets roles like this because he just looks like you know something like you know uh like he looks like a villain he looks, he looks like creepy but from every interview i've seen like uh, um and like even like him playing himself in this movie he just seems like a sweet guy <laughs> so i i love that like he he, he embraces his uh his look so, uh, pitch perfect character actor. I, I love him, and I love him in this. Um, and he, yeah, in, in in the moments he's in, you know, briefly in this movie, he is like a. I mean, he he kills Jack Slater's kid, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> and it apparently was a note that the studio uh, gave McTiernan, or I think like the the ratings board or something gave McTiernan. It's like, hey, uh, uh, you know, cut down on the child deaths here. <laughs> and it's like, oh. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's in the script. Oh, I'm going to shoot it. Um, but yeah, uh, great villain, Tom Noonan. Yeah, and I think it's also fun given he's like famously not just the way, like his physical look, but also he's six foot five. 
The man's giant. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a huge person. Especially, like, the only time you're allowed to really see it is when he plays himself. Because usually when they're doing, like, the movie... I think this is almost kind of a conscious thing, which works, too, is that, like, Arnold was also, like, what? How tall is Arnold? He's, like, six foot at least, right? Ooh, but, like, see. he's... Yeah. Um, but in this movie, he feels like he's, like, 7.5. Like, he's... Every shot makes him look so giant. <laughs> To a way that I think really works for him. According to Google, he is six foot two. Okay, which so Schwarzenegger. Still, wow, right, yeah. shorter yeah. than Tom not Noonan, which I think they try and avoid, which I think is just funny, and if it's like the kind of yeah thing where it's just like, oh no, Jack Slater is not the same height as Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's taller <laughs> for some reason. Uh, which also we need to shout out. Well, to go back to Schwarzenegger briefly, um, I think you do really see. Speaking of sort of the how timely this movie is, like. Schwarzenegger as himself briefly when he's at the premiere is I think like the first <laughs> genuinely funny sort of like Arnold being a parody of himself as he's kind of mm-hmm. become at this point which is like the uh, Maria Shriver like don't mention Planet Hollywood and it's <laughs> been really tacky and I love that shot too where like he's mentioning it and that's the funny joke but Maria's like in the background almost like she's puppeteering this like good yes I want you to do this. Like, no, what the fuck? Anyway, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, Arnold. <laughs> he dips. And then even later on, like that had there's a bit of pathos even with that cameo when Jack Slater meets Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's just like, You bring me nothing but pain. <laughs> just like that's what they would say. It's like one of your creators is like right next to you, just like, You bring me nothing but misery in my existence. Fuck off, Arnold. <laughs> and then leaves. God, that's that is a great moment. And apparently McTiernan snuck that in. Uh, according to him on the commentary, maybe it's something the studio didn't want in, but Martino was like, I gotta have this in. Like, that sort of breaking the fourth wall and, like, yeah, poking at Schwarzenegger's, like, persona and po- Schwarzenegger totally on board with, which, uh, yeah, another reason why this movie's great. Like, it's, like you're saying, Tom, it's like, he, he understands his persona, bringing up Planet Hollywood, like, what other, you know, Hollywood star would do that at this time? Um, I mean... Uh, Tom Cruise for as big of a movie star as he is now, I can't see him playing himself and sort of jabbing at his persona like Schwarzenegger did here. Hmm, so. I wonder why. What one particular element <laughs> would you well, not want to see to make fun of? Certain things are in the closet, maybe. <laughs> People are missing. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I agree, and I think while we're on this subject, I'm, I'm curious from everyone here, because another a fun thing about this movie is the various cameos that happen. There are several. I'm curious, what's everyone's favorite cameo? Brian, what's your favorite cameo? In this oh, movie? man. Um, I do like Robert Patrick showing up, just because I love seeing Robert Patrick. He's great. Um, yeah. I love the, the... I mentioned earlier the, like, the Danny DeVito cat detective thing, because, like, one, I think it's just so funny, and two, the minute you hear him, you're like, that is Danny DeVito. <laughs> And he just shows up ran- randomly, like when he saves them from being like handcuffed. <laughs> and Arnie's like, "You you saved us! Oh, thank God you got here!" And it's just so it, it's handled so casually and just yeah, I, I love him. Yeah, he might be my favorite one. <laughs> That's a really funny gag, and also it works as kind of like something that I feel like would have been a studio note at some point during the production of this movie. Like kids love the Roger Rabbit uh, recall to our last episode. Cause like right. we need like some kind of, I don't know, do a car- cartoon cat or whatever. And it's like, fine, we'll do that. But he's so weirdly superfluous in a funny way where he's <laughs> yeah. just like, you would want like, cause obviously there's that great scene where they go to the police station, which I love also one of my favorite Austin O'Brien lines. It's like, this is way better than the one I saw earlier in the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but then just like what it's like, um, the computerized version of Humphrey Bogart teamed up with a regular cop. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is, and this is around the time of the weird Roberts and Make His Tales from the Crypt episode, which is one of my oh, God. most fascinating things. Um, but yeah, that even also it also feels like another studio thing. Like, let's do the early version. It's glad that we don't have weird deep fakes of dead celebrities anymore. We avoided that, and now we're all great, right? We don't have any more of those. Society is great right now, yeah. Everything's, is great. Yep, everything's working perfectly. What's your favorite cameo, Marcelo? What's your favorite? Uh, out of the many... Like I, I, I do love seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme in there, like briefly. Um and I, I like the connection that uh he was in Predator playing the alien and it didn't work out. They <laughs> there's that footage, like uh, infamously of like him in the uh Predator costume, um and they're like, yeah, this isn't working. Goodbye, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Just like a fucking lobster man just running. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I like it that I, I like the fact that years later he you know he's a big star too and he was like okay fine yeah I'll I'll, I'll be in McTiernan and uh, Schwarzenegger's film and like Water Under the Bridge so I I like that and also shout out to Chevy Chase for being there for like for a split second being pushed by Schwarzenegger <laughs> like alongside Damon Wayans you know <laughs> Damon Wayans is there too yeah 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 <laughs> in the same shot that's all of their cameo was just to get bumped by Arnold. yeah <laughs> and it's it's one of those Chevy Chase like. Of course, he's playing it for the camera. It's like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> yeah. Re- re- half a second Chevy Chase performance that uh, is, is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the last time he was funny in the 90s, one might argue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, I mean, those are all great choices. Um, I'm going to say, I think my favorite is, I mean, you, you kind of quoted one earlier, Marcel, with the Jim Belushi. Oh, yes. Yeah. Amazing. I like that one too. Yeah. It's very fun. Um, but. I mean, if not those, um, I mean, I, I guess I, I even love just, like, the ones that don't make any sense to me. Like, Art Carney's a weird one. That is, like, <laughs> but at the same time, his gag is funny, which is one, second cousin for Arnold, which, of course, is such a great parody. It's like, that's the wrong second cousin you messed yeah, with. My favorite Jack second Slate. cousin. <laughs> <laughs> right? But even, like, his last line being just like, I'm out of here. And then he has, like, the, the time mechanism is one of my favorite gags. And no one talks about it. Just, like, where Arnold p- sees, like, oh, it's addressed to me. And then it has the cards that say, like, five, four, three. It <laughs> yeah. makes no sense. I thought about this. So I was like, wait, how does it? How does, yeah, it makes no sense at all. And it's sort of, it's just that, that sort of action movie logic that the whole thing is, like, running on. We, we've we've talked a little bit about Shane Black a bit here, but I I, I want to talk a bit more about him because I find him he's so fascinating to me because he's like because he wrote like Lethal Weapon, which ones did he write? He wrote one and two, or did he just write? He one? wrote one more specific. That was like I mean, the history of Shane Black is amazing. Where like he wrote the original Lethal Weapon script while he was still like in college, and it got sold, right. and it was one of those like great success stories where it sold for like so much money, one of the biggest spec scripts ever, and he had this massive run um, in the late 80s, early 90s, even in Predator, the John McTiernan yep. connection. Um, but, yeah, this is, I think, sort of the beginning of even his sad sort of downfall with, like, because after this is, like, Cutthroat Island, right, which I think he had, like, uncredited rewrites on, and some other ones that were just, like, really big flop, or even The, La- uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Love that movie, but mm-hmm. massive bomb at the time. Um, it's it's a shame, but I mean, what would you say is like your favorite Shane Black? Then what do you like really love out of him, Brian? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, what I think is so interesting about him is that he's someone who clearly like he helped form the sort of action movie 
you know, in some in some ways, of course, by writing like Lethal Weapon, which is such a huge like you know was such a huge franchise and everything. And it's it's one of those things of like you know he helped kind of you know craft this style, and then he, but he's a guy who sort of knew what worked about it. He sort of knew why the formula worked and why these action movies worked the way that they did. And he's able to sort of, and still to this day, like able to sort of turn that into, into comedy. And, and yet he does a lot of the, that typical action movie stuff. He does it really well in like, of course his, his director, his directed films, of course, like the nice guys, absolute masterpiece, I think. Um, He's a fascinating figure in this whole, in this whole discussion, I think. Right, I mean, like the buddy cop thing is essentially just like, oh, we're pointing out like *Lethal Weapon*, two mismatched guys as cops. He kind of like he wasn't the original original person, but he made it so popular right. around this mm-hmm. era. Um, but yeah, what about uh, you, Marcel? How do you think this fits in the Shane Black canon? To Brian's point, I think it's interesting that they brought him in to basically rewrite the script that was a parody of the action genre, right? And um. It's it's it does come in a weird time in his career because like I, I'm looking at it now like it's right before Long Kiss Goodnight mm-hmm. and then he like, takes a break for several years and then does Kiss Kiss Bang Bang so yeah like at the tail end of his uh, run there and I, I my favorite of his I think it's Last Boy Scout because I think that is perfect in what he wants to tell in the story and what we'll see later with like like Nice Guys and Iron Man Three. Um, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he's sort of telling that sort of the same story over and over again, like any you know, like any you know writer or director does, right? But yeah, I think he does it perfectly in The Last Boy Scout. And here, uh, like two years after doing The Last Boy Scout, writing The Last Boy Scout, um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, like there's hints of you know his motifs in here with like the kid and like the you know the uh, the action hero you know lead and. I think for the most part it works. I feel the shame blackness of it all in this movie. And I do kind of, it's not that I'd prefer a shame black directed version of this, but I just wonder what that would look like. If it'd be any better, I think it would be better, but maybe not the shame black of, you know, 1993, the shame black of like 2003, maybe would have made this a better movie. Yeah. Especially considering he, he was like about a decade off from directing his first movie. Exactly. I don't know if he would yeah, be able yeah. to handle like all that pressure. I, I agree with that. I think a lot of like what I can see from the Shane Blackism is a lot of like the small details, because that's what I love about a Shane Black sort of script is that like it can be like funny and humorous, but like the weird like internal logic of this kind of silly universe that he helps create with just small stuff like um, the fact that Austin O'Brien like only really tries to explain to Arnold in the movie world that like. Hey, look! This is a movie and everything. Whenever he like encounters like Brigitte Wilson, who's great in this movie as his daughter, um, or uh, like the chief, or even like initially Charles Dance, he doesn't play into the like this is a movie. What are you talking about thing? Because he's like, I'm just gonna accept the internal logic because I already have to deal with Arnold and I don't want to explain this to you. So I'll play along <laughs> with this the dumb plot that we're dealing with and then move on. There's stuff like that, or even just like the fun gags that feel like Shane Black things, like just. That also makes it work for, like, a big bloated studio budget movie of, like, oh, hey, Arnold and the kid are constantly driving while horrible accidents happen in the background of this movie. (laughs) Like, right off the bat with, like, the big chase sequence where, like, he's, uh, the kid goes inside the car and they're chasing and uh, being chased by a bunch of great 80s, 90s era henchmen like uh, Sven Olthurson or my favorite Al Leong was one of the great guys in, like, a bunch of John Carpenter movies gets killed by an ice cream 
cone to the yes. head, which is such a fun death. Iced that guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then, like, Arnold and him, like, d- jump off the uh, the highway and are, like, near a shipping yard where they land just in time. That's perfect. And while they're driving away, he's like, look, I don't know. Like, why'd you get in my car? There's just, like, a car explosion going on in the background. <laughs> just, like, a massive car explosion. Or later on when they're just driving, he Arnold's explaining the plot on the freeway about just, like, we gotta go over to the, uh, what's the gangster's name like joey the fart or whatever the fuck uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like while that's going on like in the background just cars are swerving around because like they're clearly driving center of frame which is such a funny yeah. like filmmaking joke that's like oh they're in the middle of the road where everyone's like oh fuck i can't change lanes <laughs> this guy's driving in the middle it's that, that, it, that's it, the small stuff that i think feels the most shane blackish i would say in here yeah one of my favorite jokes also that i just remember kind of in a similar vein is like at that sort of police station scene that the like the logic from the police chief is oh well this kid already knows a bunch of stuff so he should be your partner and it's like wait what yeah. he's like eight <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, he's a child but it yeah it makes sense with with this yeah the, the sort of shane black logic of it all which is yeah it's yeah. it's really great yeah like in a shane black movie that's how it would go yes it's like <laughs> This kid is her partner now, but in reality, nobody does does that. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to pivot a bit to something I just thought of, which is the the sort of sequence, um, which everyone's talked about, where he goes he goes to school very briefly, and the like teacher has the whole like dis- the she's talking about like Hamlet and talking about how like riveting oh, it yeah. is, and it's like yeah. Shakespeare has never been so riveting, and they show like the um the Laurence Olivier film and have this sort of that that parody as well with like Arnie being like to be or not to be, and I, I love that sequence so much because it it is sort of this thing of you know action movies are seen as kind of you know low art and you know they're they're trash. And you know Shakespeare, of course, it's it's high art, it's 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 sophisticated, and I, I love the sort of connection of like action movie to Shakespeare, and sort of how you know that that sort of weird relationship. But I I, I also love how he he becomes invested while watching like that that movie. It almost reminds me of like when you get shown like a movie in like a history class, and you're like you're kind of bored by it, but you're kind of you get really invested by the end of it or something. You know, it's, yeah, it's a great scene. That's the bit that feels the most sort of like they're, what they're pulling off whenever they try and do sort of the Amble Nature. And that feels like an Animaniacs gag, yeah. in theory. And right. it could be a best thing, but it's like if an Animaniacs gag was animated so beautifully. Like, I love the way that sequence is shot. It feels almost like a film version of like what Sin City would do digitally, like about 10 right, years later. yeah. It like looks, it feels like almost they're trying to kind of recall a sense like this is I think the genius of McTiernan sort of trying to make it like we're going to make this look like this is the seventh seal which we're going to reference later we're going to like try and emulate that look but have Arnold do dumb shit which is so funny they just yeah. to be or not to be not to be when it looks like that gorgeous it's so much funnier in a way that like recalls the fact that around this time Arnold is working with to some extent like interesting auteur filmmakers like McTiernan or Verhoeven or James Cameron people who, like, put all their commitment into, like, a movie this, like, ridiculous and over-the-top and, like, make it, you know, work while also admitting, like, we're here for Arnie. We're going to have Arnie shit. He's fun, right? We all love Arnie, but we're also going to make this look so fucking great at the same time. And I think that, I think that really goes missing after here because with Arnold after this, like, there's True Lies, obviously, which has a lot of the Cameron sort of touches. 
but like a lot of his stuff after this becomes made by you know like solid journeyman directors like Chuck Russell does Eraser, Roger Spottiswood does The Sixth Day, and stuff like that. It's just like they're like made by like fine directors, but he like I miss him working with an interesting auteur, which is why I've been campaigning for this for years. I want this to happen. James, if you're listening in your submarine, I want him in a fucking Avatar sequel. Do it. Oh my god, I want yes. fucking, like, mm-hmm. him basically playing, like, Conan Navi. That's what I want. That's my pitch. <laughs> I want that in, like, Avatar amazing. 5, The Search for Awa, or whatever it's called. <laughs> one thing I, I, I liked more, or one thing I connected with more when watching this and that sequence, when the kid is imagining Schwarzenegger and Hamlet... Like it's like what you just did, Thomas. Like I want Schwarzenegger in an Avatar movie, right? I want Schwarzenegger in a Hamlet movie. That imagination, yep. which I think they do it there, but it kind of goes away. That sort of like kids' imagination, like oh, my favorite action star is in this story, right? I I love that bit. I I, I want a little bit more of that, I guess, in the movie. Sort of like this like whimsy that this child has. I mean, he he says it, you know. He says like I, you know, I love this action movie. I love this character. But like, like seeing his thought process, seeing like his creativity, I love seeing that sequence. So yeah, I, I do like that sequence now, I think, after seeing it. I think maybe the first few times I saw this movie, I'm like, why is this sequence in here? But I understand it now, you know, especially by the end when you totally feel like, oh, this is this kid's story. This is like a Spielberg-esque sort of like kid connecting with this character and seeing him as like a father figure. It's like he... It, that father figure is missing in this kid's life, so why not let it be Jack Slater? So that that all kind of connected for me this viewing. So I, I appreciated that. So yeah, yeah. And shout out by the way, we're on that sequence to another great cameo. That's a bit more like of a deep cut. Where that's Joe Plowright plays the teacher, who's a great British actress at this time, yeah. and was Laurence Olivier's third wife and widow. So it's her ex- introducing. <laughs> Olivia to these kids, and you're like, you might have known him from Clash of the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> the moaning uh, Clash of the Titans. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, I guess before we like, we we need to start talking about some other. Like, I want to go to the real world at some point and talk a bit more about in detail about that stuff. But is there anything else from like the movie world that we want to bring up? Just any detail, small bit. Uh, I'll just say shout out another great cameo, uh, Tina Turner. As the L.A. mayor. Oh, yes. Which is amazing, like, right at the start of the movie. Even that start of the movie is great. Like, that feels like a perfect encapsulation yeah. of mm-hmm. that era of action movie. Down to, like, the jokes, just like, uh, tell me, here's the lieutenant governor, tell me when the governor's here. Or the <laughs> um, the, the whole, the bit where he kicks the guy in the balls, just like, you want to be a farmer, he has a couple acres. Which is such a great, <laughs> dumb parody of just, like, this was a line that feels rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. Like, fine, let's put it in here. But in, like, a really genuinely funny way. We're just like, sure, we'll go with this. This is, like, the 53rd option. We thought of <laughs> I, f- I feel like all, all these movies around this this kind of era of, of Arnie's career are doing the sort of big introduction of like the first time you see him, it's like huge. It's like the biggest thing in the world. And yeah, his introduction is like him like walking on top of like the cars, just like <laughs> uh yeah, him crushing like the radio like it was like just like sand. <laughs> just like crushes in his hand. Yes. Yeah, it's really great. The McTiernan action, especially in the the you know in the Jack Slater world, like perfect. Like the that shootout in the in the apartment, it's like oh, 
brilliantly choreographed, brilliantly shot, so many great gags. Like when Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, electrifies the dead guy and like the dead guy's arm shoots, you know, another henchman. <laughs> it's like those little bits, perfect. And like perfect in the action genre. And like I would see a Jack Slater movie directed by John McTiernan. It's like he nails it. Um, but that, that's basically it. I'm because I I, th- I don't know. Like it, uh, uh, one, I'll say one idea I had just off the top of my head. It's like maybe a different version of this movie would have been McTiernan just shoots the Jack Slater portions of the movie, and then another director shoots like the real world portions of the movie. Whoever that might be, it's like that may have been one way to handle this movie. Because I think McTiernan is a perfect action director. But again, as we transition into the real world, he may not be the perfect director to handle like the real world aspect of this movie, in my opinion, even though I think this movie's still great. So, but while we were just on that sequence you're referring to, we should talk a bit more, I guess, about Brigitte Wilson with her amazing gag. Oh, yes. That she's just like, oh, she like screams a lot, but it's like she just kicks ass royally and just destroys all these henchmen in like a complete subversion of like that type of character. But then I love even in the universe, though, Arnold is still just like, oh, she's going to grow up to be an old maid. <laughs> no one will watch. She spent her prom uh, cleaning her AK-47. <laughs> <And stuff like laughs> that. She, she's great, by the way. And again, another actor in this movie who's committed, who knows who, who knows the role, who, who knows like the character she's playing. God, she's great in this, yeah. I love later on when she just shows up with like the truck <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, it's she's great. She's really great in this movie. Um, and you know, one other great bit thing I want to say about this movie is um, all this. I think the production design is immaculate in terms of like when we're in the movie world, all the sets and even like big buildings feel so movie like. Like even the that gangster who's having the funeral on top of like a massive skyscraper that has like a big oh, yeah, red yeah. roof <laughs> and there's a pool and that's a fountain pool thing and all this other stuff. It's like, it looks so opulent and crazy in the way that like these movies do, which also I think is one of, I think my favorite sort of Arnold Austin O'Brien bit in this movie is when they're looking around for like, cause he's just like, Oh, you know where everything is. Well, where, where's like all this stuff happening? Where's the villain live? And he's like, you know, I'm one of those uh, big palatial estates with, like, a water-like view. I don't know. It's one of these, I think. There's, like, a bunch of these fucking places in this version of L.A. And then when Arnold finds it, and the joke that he gives is just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You revolutionized police detecting. All the time I was training about the human psyche and all this other stuff. And you just did it immediately. Congrats to you. It's, like, such a funny, I think, the best comedic bit. Arnold does here, or maybe in any of his comedies, because that's something we also haven't talked about. It's just like this is coming off of like the Arnold comedy train with like your kindergarten cops or your twins. Obviously, twins, twins is like the yeah. first big one um, that were he's like at this point known for like all the comedies. And you know, th- at least this isn't like the true end of it. The true end of that is Junior, which is um, one of the genuinely like worst career decisions, a way worse one. The nice action hero by a country mile, um, but but yeah, I mean let's let's go into uh, I guess the the real world now where I guess a bit more Marcelo and what you kind of hinted at like what what do you think um, doesn't quite work about McTiernan's version of this real world? It's a bit more grounded and grimy. Um, and I, I will say it. Uh, McTiernan even says it in the commentary that like he. He had in mind a vision of what the real world looks like in, in Last Action Hero, and he just couldn't like do it because of the production woes of this, because the studio breathing down his neck. And 
basically speeding through the shooting process of this whole thing. And he even says, like, the tone of it's not, you know, right for, for what he was imagining this movie would be. But I think he should give himself a bit more credit because I think it does work. I think the real world stuff does work. But in my opinion, as soon as, like, they get out of Jack Slater world, things slow down. Things I'm not, like as invested as I was as I was before. I know like one version of the original script had them just just stay in the Jack Slater world and not leave. Um I don't know if that would have been better or worse, but like I, I could feel the production woes on screen as we came back into the real world and and I maybe like uh, the thread is lost like uh Charles Dance's uh villain like his motive sort of it's kind of cobbled together like, Oh yeah, he's going to movies. He's, he's going to bring out Dracula and he goes to these movies, but he doesn't bring out these characters right away. He brings out one character, brings out Tom Noonan's character, but yeah, there's certain things like that. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't all gel for me as well as I think it should. I love this movie again. Don't get me wrong, but I think it just doesn't come together as well by the end until they get to the premiere. I think by the time they get to the premiere, it does coalesce and it does work for me by the end. But there's that moment, there's these moments when they're in the real world, uh, right when they get into the real world and then leading up to the premiere where it's just not there for me. So yeah, I, that's my problem with the movie. It's like that middle of it just doesn't grab me as much as like the rest of the movie does. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can see that, but what, Brian, what about your, your retort? this brian i mean i was gonna say I, I i agree with you in the sense that like something changes i think in the when they leave the the, the jack slater world and it, like the although i love the movie as a whole i think everything from there up until yeah the the premiere basically is kind of, it's it's not bad by any by any means but it is like the movie's kind of stumbling to get there you know it doesn't it doesn't right. really you can you can see the yeah like thomas you mentioned earlier i believe like you can see the rewrites you can see and and like marcelo said like the the production problems and everything but yeah it, it's not bad but it is that this part kind of is like it feels a bit like okay what now kind of thing you know like what do we do now and it figures it out and, and i think that the the movie comes to a very satisfying and and like very thrilling conclusion, but yeah, get, getting to there is a bit is a bit rough. Yeah, I think I will say this much. I think it works the best in most of like the lead up to him going into the other world stuff. Like Mercedes Rule, who's established is just like a solid like oh what I'm I'm a I'm a working mom, single mom in the middle of New York City. I gotta like make this work. Like that that's like it's enough shorthand that feels also very Shane Blacky. Which is like the I have to lie to a school principal for this and stuff like that. <laughs> Always like a fun presence. Love Mercedes Rule. Um, I think you can see it the most in the Robert Prosky character, where I love Robert Prosky. Like obviously, like Thief, um, Christine, such a great sort of like character actor who like you would would see like with a cigar at any moment in a lot of these eighties movies. Like such a fun kind of like sleazeball guy. And here at the beginning, he has a bit of that sleaziness, but he's still charming with the kid. Like when. Uh, Austin Brand goes up just like, hey, it's out of focus. You gotta make this work. And he's like, oh, what? Oh, God, I gotta... <laughs> I never do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that works for, like, he's still sweet, but at the same time, it's like, oh, and this... The theater looks so run down and everything, and that... I think that this great production design where they found, like, this amazing... Like, I don't know if it's an actual set or it's a real, like, movie palace kind of theater that does not exist, basically, anymore. But it's a great set in the way that it looks run down. It's just run down enough 
to where it looks like it would be a realistic rundown theater of this time that would have closed in the near future of, like, the 93 of this movie. Though that's also a weird thing where later on, when after he becomes the magic guy, and, like, that's the most, like, really, the bit where he's like, oh, my father ran this theater and Harry Houdini performed here. Anyway, magic ticket. And it's like so quick. It's like the next line is magic ticket. Um, but, and then later on when like they're in the projection booth and it has like that great moment Marcel was talking about earlier about just like, I just found out everything's fake, whatever. But then, Prosky introduces, like, yeah, and they're gonna shut the theater down and pack it up. Like, wait, this wasn't quite established before, really. Like, yeah. you just had a scene where he's like, no one wants to go to the movies anymore. Um, <laughs> or something like that. One thing I noticed on the rewatch was, like, yeah, the theater's shutting down, but they're gonna build a multiplex in there. Yeah. And, like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. And it, it's like, a, it, it, you see it, like, uh, like, signs for it as the kid uh, Austin O'Brien walks out of the theater it's like coming soon like a tent screen multiplex I'm like well I guess the movies aren't that dead <laughs> I mean uh, it's it's. I guess they should have like you know dug into that a bit more it's like this beautiful theater like this you know one screen giant you know uh, uh, you know um, I was going to say on film but back then there was no film versus digital thing but nowadays it would be like we're going to tear down this like one screen theater and make it like a 10 screen like digital you know multiplex but right I, but the movie <laughs> I, I, I hate saying this but like yeah, it's like you you're gonna tear down this one theater, but you're gonna have like ten screens though. The the magic of movies are still gonna be around, but just smaller screens. There's a version of this movie where you just introduce like the guy who's running that cinema. If you establish like the theater we see later, I think is the one that he's running the like preview screening for the premiere. I think all it's missing really is a scene of like that guy delivering the print and being like, oh, this is filthy, and it's just like whatever. Look, we're like someone who doesn't have the investment in like the movies. Like Prosky does, he's just like, whatever, we're going to make profits, we're going to, like, make this a massive theater where, like, oh yeah, the popcorn stand's going to be, like, half of it, <laughs> or something. Like, make some kind of joke about that, like, the, the movie that basically, yeah. like, he's the guy who, like, basically is in cahoots with the studio executives at Sony who were making this movie, of just, like, yeah, we'll tear down that old theater, whatever, and then we'll premiere it at a big multiplex where we don't really care about, like, projection, or don't have any interest yeah. in it, or something like that. There's a way this would have worked, and it's just not... There really, it's, it's real missing, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I do love. I, there's one theater here in Austin that does look like this theater that they show um, uh, in, in Last Action Hero, and it's just as beautiful, just as like you know, glorious with a balcony and everything. And it does. Uh, if they were to make this now, they would definitely like you know dig into like the film versus digital thing, right? And I would care a lot more about that story than yeah. this story back when everything was on film. Like, I don't want to take that away. I, I don't want to say, hey, let's turn on this one screen. It'll be fine. But I, I think to your point, Thomas, like they should have dug more into just how important this one theater is, how important this one screen is, and how thing like you'll be losing, you know, the um, majesty, you know, the uh, historical aspect of like this theater if it goes away and they kind of miss the point of that whole thing by the end i feel yeah to firmly date myself as well if this is a the only time i may ever reference a disney channel original movie doing a slightly better job of this um there's the phantom of the megaplex which is a movie 
that Disney Channel put out that's about, like, oh, we're working at, like, a multiplex in, like, the late 90s. But Mickey Rooney has this weird role as, like, the guy who used to be at the theater when it was a one-screen palace. And they just to like, let him come. And he's like, oh, the movies were so magical back in my day. <laughs> they were so wonderful. And I miss the magic of these movies. As, you know, I, the man's dead, but... He looks so drunk in that movie. He looks like he is red-faced and just, like, so full of alcohol at that particular point. It's so funny in that movie. Um, But, Brian, like, what are some... Do you agree with those concerns? Like, are there any others about, like, the real-world stuff, more specifically? I I just think it is a thing of, like, the movie doesn't have enough time, really, to go into any of that stuff, because it is, like... Mm -hmm. It, at the same time, it's it's dealing with kind of what we've set up in in the Jack Slater world of you know, you know the the villain coming over and you know Charles Dance trying to like you know bring these movie characters to kill Jack Slater or to kill the the real Arnold Schwarzenegger, and yeah, it, it just kind of I think it's you know it, it has to sort of set up all of that stuff in the third act. Um, which does lead to like the premiere scene, which is so incredible and is so like, you know, I mean, we mentioned like just the cameos of like everyone walking in and everything. And, but, but just the sort of like actual scene where like Arnie, you know, kind of tackles Arnie and it's, you know, that sort of moment. I I love that stuff. It's, it's a really great moment and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I don't know, but I I do see your guys points though. But honestly, my favorite thing about the that premiere sequence is even just, like, a story beat that, like, Jack Slater character gets hurt for right. the first time. Right. And I think that's what's, like, that adds a weird drama that I think worked a lot more on me this time than it had previously. Where it's like, oh, this guy who's so invincible, he gets shot and, like, Arnold looks bloody. Arnold looks like he's mm-hmm. been, like, yeah, seriously yeah. injured, like, the stuff in... Uh, the ambulance with the weird Melvin Van, Van Peebles cameo, which is the weirdest one, because like he doesn't say anything and he's just there, like this sweet badass song himself is just <laughs> an ambulance guy. Okay, sure, um, but anyway, um, it's it still is like so like fascinating that particular element where it makes the stakes of it actually real. It's the first time in the real world that you feel genuinely like, oh my god, is it going to actually make it? And is this actually going to work for him? It makes Tom Noonan a lot more like upsetting, or even just the bit before he even gets shot. Where, like, Arnold grabs the kid as he's, like, hanging and just does, like, the little aside, but, like, please don't let him fall. Or, like, holds him and, like, lifts him up and he's, like, my arm's out of my socket. Like, there's a humor there, but it's also just, in, like, the disbelief he almost has. We're just like, oh, my God. I've, I feel so human now and it sucks. <laughs> I hate feeling human in this world. I think that all works. And I think Schwarzenegger's performance really delivers that pretty damn well. It's like, he's human now. And yeah, like 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 you're saying, like it, th- when he gets shot, it looks like he like like somebody actually got shot, and that ambulance sequence does feel real. It's like Schwarzenegger as Jake Slater, sp- you know, spewing blood is like the 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 you know the oxygen uh, mask is on him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's intense, and I think it it um, the reason why I like Austin O'Brien in this is because of those last few scenes where you believe that this kid really believes that he can save his hero and. They have to. Uh, the, the the one aspect that kind of like again gives me pause, and I'm like, eh, is is this another like rewrite that just doesn't connect? It's like Austin O'Brien's character like pulling out the gun, <laughs> and all the ambulance people like running at, running out of the ambulance, and then now Austin O'Brien has to drive, <laughs> you know, to the theater. Kind of wonky there, but other than that, I it it, it feels I'm invested, completely invested by that point. 
and forget any complaint I have before this moment. Like I'm like, yes, get into the theater. You know, uh, the magic of movies can save this guy's life. And if anything, like that will, you know, uh, uh, throw me <laughs> as an audience member. Like I, I, I love that stuff. Yeah, and I think at the same time, what also works about that is like even when we get. Like, there is some of that wonkiness, I agree, considering, like, the gun thing is also... That was established as, like, a thing that can happen in the Jack Slater world. But then it also happens mm-hmm. here. It's like, there's no weird... It was almost like an Abel Ferrara moment, where it's just like, oh my god, this kid has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, very serious for a second. Maybe the guy who should have done what you're talking about, like, like directed the ri- real-life stuff in the movie. Like that, or mm-hmm. even, like, when he, like, hits the taxi cab, like, not too long after he gets in, it's just like, excuse me, I have an airbag. It all works out fine, <laughs> like those small sides. But even like you know, we mentioned Charles Dance has this whole scheme of like, oh, I'm gonna bring out all these different characters. And there's like a world where I wish that happened, but also like, yeah. considering the world we live in, where like we've seen <laughs> that now, and that doesn't oh, yeah. nearly satisfy me really anymore. I mean, there's a world where like they McTiernan does like a clever version where like Freddy Krueger or Dracula or whatever. I guess it was maybe even classic movie villains that could probably work. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad with like the only one we get is such a weird left field choice <laughs> that so we kind of referenced, right? Oh of yes, Ian yeah. McKellen's Seventh yeah. Seal, which is uh, very interesting given this is very early Ian McKellen's sort of like American film stuff. Like before this, he was like obviously on stage in England for so long, and then he would appear in shit like The Keep, the Michael Mann film The Keep, oh, yeah. where it's just like that doesn't quite like use him that well. And this is like, I think one of the first American productions to do it very well. This is the same year also, I believe this is uh, Richard the third, which is an amazing movie. If you've not seen that, it's a great fucking wild trippy Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, but I think, yeah, he works here. It's just like, Oh, he's just coming. Like the way he pops out of the screen that gives me such like MGM studios, universal studios of this era vibes are just like, it's coming right out at you <laughs> in this like 3d sort of way. Um, and then McKellen weirdly treats it like very like seriously, which is like the, Oh no, you live to be a grandfather. Like weird lines like that. He treats with <laughs> utmost seriousness of like, you know, the, the seventh seal itself. It like works oddly, despite how odd that cameo isn't. What's, what's the line he has where he's like, I don't do, I don't do drama or I don't do fiction. Yes. <laughs> not not my specialty or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird. Cause like McKellen doesn't really look like the actor who's playing death in the, in the seventh seal that, that much, no. but because he's fucking Ian McKellen, you, you buy it. Like you, he just sells it immediately. Even right from like the first shot we see him is like, he's still in the seventh seal and Max von right. archive footage is behind him, but it's like, you know, yeah, it, works. it does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is such a weird pull, too, for, like, this action movie to pull of, like, this old 60s art house, you know, movie from Sweden. Like, uh, like yeah, I'm not the type of person that, like, would have loved to see, like, all these, you know, villains come in from the from the movies into the real world. Like, like, like you said, Thomas, like, I, I mean, we you know, see last week's episode on a Space Jam, A New Legacy, where we talked we talked about it a little <laughs> bit there, like... Christ, um, yeah, but but I think it works because it is such a like, really like they're they're gonna use the seventh seal, uh, yeah, and it, and I will I will also say like the what you guys were talking about earlier with like Jack Slater being like shot and the the sort of real tension there, it, it does lead to probably my favorite joke in the entire movie, which is when they get back and just they're like, oh, we need a doctor, and then the doctor's just like, 
what the fuck is this? This is like a flesh wound. This is nothing. It's it, that was the one that really, really got me. <laughs> yeah, which was like a fun, like sort of reprise of like the sort of the the finishing point, the callback of like the earlier doctor bit when he's at the funeral. And it's just like, is there a doctor here? It's like, I'm a doctor. Oh, check his chin. <laughs> like, someone please help him. <laughs> look, an elephant. Yeah, look, an elephant. <laughs> which also leads into an amazing shootout in an elevator, which is an example of the great McTiernan action. That's yes. Like yes. So over the top, bizarre, but like just works well enough. I might argue a better version of what is even done very well in True Lies the next year. I agree. You know, thank you for saying that, Thomas. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. I, I once again reminded of that connection to True Lies or that similarity, you know, to True Lies after watching this uh, sequence like earlier today. I'm like, oh, that's right. This, True Lies does this later, but I like this version better. Yeah, because it's McTurnan. It just, it, for me, it flows better. We love Cameron, not his highlight. Not his highlight. Ah, controversial take for me. I'm not a huge True Lies guy now. I, I rewatched that a few months ago. Are you saying it doesn't hold up very well because of various <laughs> it does things? not hold up? Very well. I will say I was someone that was like my big sort of you know it, it's kind of the biggest movie from Cameron I hadn't seen for the longest time because it wasn't available and like you know yeah and when it was finally put on like Hulu I believe like a year ago or so I watched yeah. it and I was like oh Jesus Christ like yeah the <laughs> stuff in that movie has not aged well although it's it, it's rough the parts that do work about that movie though are like the James Cameron action stuff like that's you know it's but the horse sequence yeah. is like a top tier Arnold sequence no arguing about that that's the highlight yeah. of that whole movie but yeah yeah um but I mean yeah we've we've been going for a bit um, and I guess before we get out of last action year, we need to talk about sort of what I referenced earlier at the start of this, the, um, the fallout of it, because this movie came out June 18th, 1993 key thing, uh, a week prior, uh, Jurassic Park came out. So <laughs> no, it was never going to be top dog like they wanted. Um, really. Uh, and it made, you know, it cost $85 million, made $137.3 million, which I think is, like, a key part to me where, like, this feels like the one of the earliest examples of, like, oh, everyone's kind of, like, the narrative against this movie going into it, where there's a bunch of stuff where, like, this was such an overly exploited movie to the degree that you had stuff like my Zoom background, which is the giant inflatable Arnold, which you see at the Jack Slater premiere, but was also on display at Con. So people had the same reaction to this almost like the Emoji movie several decades later. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is so everywhere, and they're just shoving this down my throat. It looks so bad. This is so dumb. And people kind of got scared away from it, and it was a big sort of blow to, like, McTiernan's career, but also even, like, this is uh, the big thing where, like, Sony in the 80s, 90s is a fascinating tale. Of just like, you know, like the John Peters and Peter McGruber stuff. This isn't one of those, but it's like in the fallout of that with Sony. And it's just like, oh my god, maybe this will work. This is a Hail Mary pass. And it really wasn't for them. Like at all. And it was even a big thing. We mentioned Arnold sort of being aware of himself. This was his first big producer credit on any of his movies, which is kind of insane. But it like you can see like so much of that ambition on display where like he had control over like who got the directorial seat, like, the casting, the merchandising. He had the weird thing where, like, oh, all of the action figures for Last Action Hero don't have guns, which is such a weird misread. Like, that's, I mean, I get you were wanting to, like, I guess, tone down violence, but it kind of really feels like the one 
one of my favorite Arnold jokes in Last Action Hero as himself, which is like, we only killed 48 people in this movie, unlike 119 <laughs> from last time. <laughs> so, like, we're cutting down on it, and it just feels like you're fundamentally misreading the movie. We're just like, if you're going to have the merchandising, have Arnold have, like, the biggest gun. You have the ACDC song, Big Gun. Oh, that's which I love how dumb that song is. Like, the original song for this movie is just called Big Gun. And it's all about just, like, big movie screens and shit like that. Like, they were so invested in all this, and then it got so torn down that, like, famously, like, this apparently is in that documentary you mentioned earlier, Marcelo, that, like, mm-hmm. um... The fallout of this really hurt Arnold's career to a degree. Like, and he really took it hard. Where this is in the documentary, he says, quote, I cannot tell you how upset I was. It hurts you. It hurts your feelings. It's embarrassing. I didn't want to see anyone for a week. And even speaking of true lies, James Cameron called him and said it was, quote, that's the only time I've ever heard him feel so down about himself. Which says a lot, because like, like, part of the charm of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the public persona, is how jovial and fun he usually is on, like, the red carpet. Especially if you see, like, all the interviews he was doing around this time. Just like, oh, it's fun, jovial Schwarzenegger. And this just, like, I think really hurt him in a, in a bummer way. Yeah, which is kind of sad because the movie is great. It's a great action movie. And, yeah, I, I did look at, like, the... This movie made 50 million total domestic in the US, which is, yeah, very rough. And yeah, it, it is very, it's, it's, it's weird. And it, you know, it's one of those things of like, you know, how time changes and we can reassess these things, the, these movies and they, they change based on the culture that we're in, right? Like this movie now lo- is so fascinating as, you know, especially with all the, with all the meta commentary we've been talking about it. it yeah. It's, it's very interesting that he he took this one real real close. Yeah, and the production and outcome of this reminds me of a movie I referenced earlier, Alien 3, where yeah, that also went through like the studio basically pressuring David Fincher and the production just to rush through this movie, release it on a release date that it was already set. And, you know, the studio expecting Alien 3 to be, you know, a huge hit, and it wasn't. Um, and Fincher disowned it. Uh, luckily, McTernan doesn't disown this. Um, uh, even though as much as he, like, laments decisions made, uh, he does blame the studio, like, on the commentary, too, which is good to hear. Um, studio pressures of, like, like I said earlier, they wanted to make this the biggest movie of all time. To the degree that apparently they did the first ever advertisement on a space-going rocket for this movie. That's how ridiculous the publicity was for this. Just like, in space, it's up there. Just like, that's how seismic they wanted this to be. And once again, yeah. Jurassic Park comes out a week earlier, and it's like, nope, no, guys, no space rockets no, going to help no, no, you. No. And, and, and to me, this is much like uh, Alien 3. Like, to me, this is, you can definitely sense the McTiernan of it all. You can sense he put in as much as he could into this and the 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 great action uh the character work i think even works like a lot of it works because he was putting in his all and for alien 3 i think fincher tried to put as much of himself into it and you can sense it um and i still think that movie works despite you know 
you know, it being a box office bomb and most people think, well, not most people nowadays, I think people have come around to alien three, but yeah, to me, I think alien three is great as great as, as I think last action hero is. And this is all despite, you know, 20th century Fox on alien three and now Sony last action hero, like just basically, you know, tightening the screws on every aspect of production. And I, but yeah, it's, it's a miracle that we're talking about it 30 years later and we're saying positive things about it so despite it being a box office bomb so yeah i i I, i'm grateful yeah grateful that sony came around and released this 4k you know disc and basically admitting like yeah it's a good movie (laughs) yeah yeah i need to get that 4k because i know for the longest time i didn't get it on home video because they had that really bad blu-ray like a friend of mine had the blue it's a terrible like one of the worst Blu-rays for like a major release I've ever seen. That's so rough. I need to get that 4K. Um, but you know what? While you're talking about that, I guess wrap it up into your final thoughts, Marcel. Any final thoughts you got about Last Action Hero before we get to our next segment and everything? Uh, one last thought I had. Um, this ties into the Seventh Seal discussion. Um, like I said earlier, like there's that you know part of the movie where they get out into the real world and then they putz around until the premiere. And the promise of, like, Dracula, you know, coming, you know, into the real world, um, that, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, provoked a part of my brain. It's like, yeah, I, I want to see that. Even though, you know, <laughs> it would have been a bad thing, you know. Uh, uh, I, I'm glad you guys brought up um, uh, uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. Because, like, yeah, it w- w- would have been on that side of things. Um, I think ultimately that sort of promise or um, of, like, a character you know, coming into the real world, we see it happen with the, that seventh seal section. And like, it's, it's a great capper to that like concept to this concept of like a, a movie characters coming into the real world. I know why we haven't brought this up, you know, for the last 90 minutes, but I got to bring up um, purple rose of Cairo. I will never see that movie again for various reasons. I'm happy to have this movie replace it as the movie that, you know, brings in movie characters from a movie world into the real world, I'd rather see this over and over and over and over and over again, rather than Purple Rose of Cairo. I love this movie. <laughs> I love that promise of like movie characters going into the real world. And you see that here. And yeah, I'm connected with uh, uh, Austin O'Brien as like a kid who loves movies and who meets his, you know, uh, a favorite movie character in person and who has that love of, of, of movies by the end. And yeah, I know I can ramble on and on about this movie. I love it. I'm glad I got to talk about it here. So yeah, those are my last thoughts on Last Action Hero. Great action movie uh, from the early 90s. That I think if people haven't watched or haven't re- revisited in a while should do so right away because I think it does hold up. Yeah. I, I like to mention the Purple Rose of Cairo thing, where at the very least, like, this director went to prison for at least, like, what, <laughs> wow. what's that happened with McTiernan? Like, the, the thing is, the crime is, like, it's like a weird tax evasion thing, right? Where, like, it was t- tax evasion and then also the, like, wiretapping a producer's phone, right? That was, I think, the main thing. He got caught wi- uh, wiretapping a producer's phone and you know, in the state of, Ca- I think, California a big offense. So yeah, that's right. the main reason why he, he was brought down in, in terms of, you know, criminal activities. Uh, I mean, uh, I can forgive him <laughs> tax evasion. <laughs> sure. I, I think we all forgive Wesley Snipes for tax evasion. Sure. Um, and also wiretapping. I mean, uh, I mean uh, it's just weird. That's not even like offensive to me. It's just like, that's bizarre that you went to prison. For that. <laughs> it is bizarre, but like the, 
the good thing is he served his time. Right. Like he, you know, he, he, he did his time and now he's out. So that's the good thing. Like at least he went to prison for it and he, he did house arrest, I think for the last year of his sentence. So he, he, he did his time folks. So, yeah. And also like you kind of mentioned way worse crimes committed by certain people in Hollywood <laughs> that get away yeah. with it. Just fine. Uh, but anyway, but Brian, your final thoughts on last action hero. Yeah, this is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, last year I did this whole, like, action movie extravaganza. I watched a bunch of old, like, classic, you know, action movies from this time. And this was when I I watched kind of towards the end of that, getting towards the end of this period. And it felt like such a a great way to cap off that sort of, you know, that marathon, because it's a movie made by not just one of the best action directors of all time, but of this period especially. And it's someone who, you know, of course McTiernan, but also Shane Black, who understood this genre so well and could actually craft incredible action sequences and have them look great while also being aware enough of kind of the silliness of this genre and kind of, you know, how... Yeah, the, the the silliness that you can you can see in in these action movies, but but commenting on that, but the, the stakes are there and everything. You know, you feel the tension and every, all the action sequences are incredible. It, it yeah, it, it's an incredible action movie that you know actually comments on its genre in ways that I, I find clever and where most of the time I find these things to be very annoying uh it's it's great and it's a great movie i think especially uh, you know if you've if people may be aware of like you know maybe haven't seen a lot of arnold's films i think this this is an interesting one to kind of go into because it's yeah it's about about his persona so yeah i i love it it's a great movie it's it's one of my favorites of this period but yeah what about you thomas um yeah i mean i agree with everything that you guys have been saying it's not necessarily like I'm looking at my Arnold ranked on Letterboxd, and it's in the top ten as an overall movie. But I would still say his performance, I would argue, is like top three. With I would say, um, or it's or it's top five at least performance because I I love Total Recall. I think is my favorite Arnie performance. It feels the most kind of like the best of both worlds with him. Uh, But then the first two Terminators, um, and then Conan the Barbarian, which I think just often gets sort of swept away. Because it's like, oh, it was an earlier movie, but I love... That's such a great use of just Arnold as a sort of physique in in this particular way. It's, like, so fascinating, like, a use of him. And then, probably Last Action Hero, and then, just for, like, the silliness, I think, my favorite sort of silly performance, it feels like the closest to a Jack Slayer movie, Commando, is just amazing. Yeah, Ridiculous bullshit. That's <laughs> so great. <laughs> Love it so much. Uh, but yeah, I think still, regardless, um, last year you're an amazing early attempt uh, at this sort of meta thing that has been done much worse by some other people, but also in intriguing ways by certain people. Like if you, like I mentioned, if you don't, if you like Chris Miller and Phil Lord stuff, I think you owe a lot of debt to this movie. Um, down to especially, I think, the line that, like, you, we kind of referenced earlier, but I think that the meta bit that works so wonderfully, and I think really blew my mind when I was a kid, especially, because I saw this when I was a kid, and I was a bit weirded out by, like, I don't get what meta is, because I'm, like, seven watching these <laughs> other Arnold movies. But it really clicked with the uh, Stallone Terminator 2, 
moment. Yeah. I think the blockbuster. As a kid, just fascinating me about, like, so who's the Stallone guy in that world? Who's, like, the guy who has the Stallone career of Rocky <laughs> and all these other things? Just, like, that immediately, like, it sort of was, like, an early sort of awakening point of, like, oh, this makes me think about, like, the career of an action star in particular and what they're commenting on um, while at the same time doing dumb bits like the 555 joke, which is also in there, which is amazing. <laughs> That's where we have area codes, stupid, um, and all that great stuff. But now it's time we get to our uh, weekly segment, Between the Lines. So uh, every episode, uh, myself and Brian and our, our guests in the future, uh, someone's breaking ground here as having a particular movie choice, uh, but we each uh, bring to the table another film that in some way is either related to the movie we're talking about or could be maybe a potential other option for atypical for this miniseries. Brian, go ahead and go first. What is your pick? Yeah, so I uh, the I, I only watched a couple of Arnie movies uh, in preparation for this. I, I was initially going to watch all three of the Ivan Reitman comedies that he did. Uh, I didn't have time. I only watched the first two. And I'm going to recommend Twins, because I hadn't seen Twins before. I, I'd only just been aware of, like, you know, he's big, he's small. That's the whole movie. And watching the movie... It is basically that, like, that's the whole joke. <laughs> it's just he's a big guy, and then Danny DeVito's just a small guy who's loud-mouthed and, you know, whatever. Um, but even, like, you know, I was, I was thinking about it because, Thomas, you and I talked about this uh, a bit recently, where, like, it feels so much like a lot of studio comedies nowadays have to do the whole, like, you know, there's gunfights and shootouts and stuff. Also, you know... Speaking of like Renfield, you know, they have to have these big action sequences. And I'm really like sick of that. I think, you know, studio comedies should just go back to being comedies. And it's interesting to watch a movie like Twins, which does that. And it's moderately successful. It's, it's an okay attempt at it. But I do love the, the jokes between the, them, you know, Arnie and, and Danny DeVito are just, they're just funny. They're just so great. And seeing them, you know, act off of each other is great. And I, I mentioned this to you, Thomas, but like one of the funniest last jokes in any movie with the chains, it just made me laugh for like five minutes straight. It was really, yeah, just a really great joke. And, you know, and also just an interesting fact of like, uh, you know, when I was looking it up that like, because Arnold doing a comedy was thought to be you know oh my god it's gonna be it's gonna bomb like no one wants to see arnold do a comedy and devito uh is it devito arnold and is there someone else in that that i'm missing um i can't remember um, but i mean is ivan reitman directed it? i don't know if you're gonna refer to him or not but well just the deal that all three of them like had where they retained kind of they they got profits from the films like box office right. for for making yeah uh, just an interesting and just how big the movie did for how kind of deceptively simple it is of just getting a big guy and a small guy. Um, yeah, twins. <laughs> I don't love twins. I think twins is definitely a movie where I feel so much more of the executive meddling kind of stuff in it. And just in terms of like, like you mentioned, the kind of comparison to like the modern kind of like action comedy thing. 
but I think that's even maybe less even a studio thing, more just like Ivan Reitman's not a great action director. He never really was. Um, the the comedies with him and Arnold work. Like I, I think the better one is Kindergarten Cop, which comes right after this, which I think is the better blend where the action begins just at the beginning. It's this weird, like almost Sylvester Stallone Cobra style wild thing where he's got the trench coat on. It's like this is so like weirdly seedy for this fucking <laughs> basically kids movie that we're gonna get from here. But at the same time, Twins. I mean, that was definitely a movie I watched when I was younger. That was one of the ones like, my dad loves Twins. Very much a, like, Sunday afternoon dad movie that he'll fall asleep about ten minutes into, but he'll wake up for every joke that's funny. That's why he just <laughs> only remembers that. It's not any of, like, the, the dumb, like, crime plot, but just stuff like that. I'm the fuzzy end of the lollipop from DeVito, or even Arnold. Like, that's where the earnestness, I think, uh, is a great example of that with Arnold in that movie, where, like, his character's so, like, naive. It's one of the better fish-out-of-water things, where he's just like, oh, look, I've been trained for years, but I'm gonna be styling in this outfit that matches Danny DeVito's. It's cute. And I think it makes, like, that relationship work despite all the problems around it, I would say. I don't know if you have any twins thoughts, Marcelo. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen twins, honestly. That was, like, a stable when I was growing up, like, on cable, just watching twins on TBS, but... I cannot form an opinion on it now. <laughs> uh, so far removed from the last time I saw it, which may have been like 20 years ago. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I Hey, I'm due for a revisit, but I'm not expecting much, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I remember Twins uh, and, and Junior uh, sort of being like those two touchstones of like, Oh, that's right, Dan DeVito, Schwarzenegger, they did movies together. Like, that was, like, the thing for a while. And then, yeah, and Junior, I have, like, even less of, like, uh, admiration for, for my memory. Uh, I think also, as as I, I probably haven't seen that in, like, 20 years, too. So, yeah, um, I'm far removed from those movies, so who knows if I'll see them again anytime soon. It's much better than Junior. That is such an but- <laughs> Twins is at least sometimes funny. <laughs> okay, but I will say though, Kindergarten Cop, that one I saw a lot more times as a kid. Uh, that was one movie that my sister would rewatch on VHS over and over and over again, and that is like in my head. Like Kindergarten Cop is fully in my head. That may be one of my favorite Schwarzenegger performances, and that one I haven't seen in a while too. But that one is further bur- buried in there, and I have good thoughts on Kindergarten Cop. I will say that even even as ridiculous as it seems <laughs> like you're 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 you mentioned of like uh schwarzenegger basically being like a cobra-esque character yeah that's in there there's a ferret uh <laughs> schwarzenegger plays like with these kids uh, it's not a tumor all that is in my head so favorable thoughts on kindergarten cop i will say that i'm a copy idiot <laughs> <laughs> detective john kimball anyway <laughs> Um, well, I'll go ahead and go next here, and um, my pick is one that's not really a blockbuster, but has a very similar kind of meta-narrative um, to it that's very much uh, echoes uh, from Last Action Hero, but I think is also a criminally underrated movie. I saw this movie at South by Southwest uh, one of the years I went, oh. and this was like my favorite movie of the festival, honestly. I loved it so much and it stuck with me, and I love introducing it to anybody who I think would kind of love it. It's um, the 2015 film, The Final Girls, uh, not to be confused with another film from that same year called Final Girl, 
uh, which is very bad. A very forgettable, dumb horror movie. But this one is a horror comedy where, if I'm sure most of you are unaware, uh, it basically follows um, this uh, young woman played by Tessa Farmiga, who at the beginning of the movie, um, we see her uh, her and her mother like have an argument, and then she dies in a horrible car accident. And so... Um, like several years later, her and her friends, which include like Aaliyah Shawkat, um, and Nina Dobrev, um, and a few others, like are like, hey, we're gonna watch um, the 30th anniversary screening of your mother slasher movie because her Mal Ackerman, who plays the mom before this, was in like a classic Friday the 13th style ripoff slasher uh, that they all go to see at this theater. Um, it's called uh, Camp Bloodbath, and uh, they are all like seated for it, and then all of a sudden. Like a fire breaks out, and they're all like, "Oh, let's get out of here!" And then they are transported into the movie, and it's a very fun sort of parody of these slasher films. That's like has a sort of meta contextual touch to it as well. But um, there's there's so much I think I love. Like particularly the director, I want to shout out uh, Todd Strauss Schuslin, who I've been championing ever since I saw like this, and he also did uh, Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas, and then Isn't It Romantic uh, after this, and I think those movies are some of the best shot comedies I've seen in the modern studio era, where how many times comedies like look just like so drab and dull. It lights up so beautifully when they go into this camp bloodbath. It looks like it, it feels very like whimsical, but also in a like slasher, like fun Friday the 13th ripoff way where it feels kind of cheap. And there's like fun um, people in that segment. Like I think it's the only time besides like Righteous Gemstones I've found Adam Devine funny. He has a very fun supporting <laughs> role as one of the uh, camp counselor guys. Um, also, Angela Trimber, who's a very underrated actress, plays basically like the scream queen of the movie, who like is alongside Malin Ackerman, where she's like she tries to like at one point scream in order to draw the killer close. So, like it's the bait, basically. It's a very fun moment in that movie. But also, even the emotional grounding of it really works. Bartesa Formiga is seeing her mother for the first time in ages as this other character, but she grows to have, like, a real investment in her, and the two of them have, like, a fun back and forth, and there's a genuine sweetness to, like, as the movie goes along, and it's about, like, oh, I, these messages about, like, oh, I love my mother, and I have this, like, memento of her forever. Like, on the silver screen, she's immortalized, even if it's in a cheap, dumb slasher movie. She still finds, like, a weird beauty to that that I think uh, really works. This is a great movie. I'm, I'm very curious. Brian, have you even heard of what this movie is? I don't think you have any idea. I think I'd, I might have like seen just like the poster of it or something when it came out, but no, I hadn't, no, I hadn't heard about it, but it, it, it sounds pretty good. Um, I also had like, it's funny you bring up Adam, Adam Devine. Cause I also am in a similar vein of, I, I watched a lot of like workaholics for some reason, just cause it was on super late and I was just not into it. Um, but also, yeah, he, he's great on like righteous gemstones, but the trailer is like playing on like, on like IMDB in the background. It looks great. So I do want to watch it at some point. Yeah. Uh, it's been on my radar forever and I have not seen it yet. I, I, I do need to see this movie. Yeah. Well, Marcelo, while you got the floor, uh, what about, what's your pick for this week? So I went with the atypical blockbuster. Um, I went down that route, and I thought, okay, atypical blockbuster. Um, what about what about atypical blockbusters that have also bombed? That have also um, maybe have grown a cult following since its release. And I go, oh, I know, I know one. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's Scott Program versus the World. Um, came out, bombed, 
um, is a summer movie. Came out uh, mid August twenty ten, and yeah, <laughs> I, I I said this joke earlier. Like if I were uh, there uh, when Last Action Hero was out in theaters, I would have seen it like six times just to say this movie is worth it. Everybody else is dumb. I did that with Scott Pilgrim. I saw that movie, I think, at least seven times uh, during its initial theatrical run, because I knew um, its days were numbered in, uh, you know, on, you know, in theaters. Because nobody was there to see it. I was there for Scott Pilgrim. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, it's atypical. I mean, it's also sort of meta. Uh, it's also sort of like very much playing with the genre of, of like in that movie, it does do like action genre. It does do comedy. Uh, it it plays into the, the the you know these video game tropes, um, and I think it's it's my favorite movie of all time. I think it's so smart, and I I could say a lot about Scott Program, but I'd just say to me, you know, it's similar to Last Action Hero, where it you know every every now and then a movie comes you know you know comes into theaters and people just are like they just don't get it, you know they don't go to see it, and it takes some time. I, I kind of always figured maybe in like 10 years, people will come around with Scott program and they did. And now everybody loves it. So I was right. <laughs> so shout out to the guy who saw last action hero, like 10 times in theaters. I'm sure that's somebody out there. You were right 30 years ago. So yeah, it happens. Um, even happens now. So folks out there, if you, if you love a movie and it bombed in the box office, just hold out hope that maybe It'll find the right audience uh, in due time. So yeah, that's my pick. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. That's an interesting movie. I've only seen it once, I think. And it was like back in like high school, back when I was, you know, discovering like Edgar Wright and watching all of his movies. I I've been meaning to rewatch it for so long and I've just haven't gotten around to it. But now I think I'm 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 finally gonna do it. I I I'm always worried when <laughs> somebody watches it and they're like this is your favorite movie? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I've gone through a few uh, few dates where I'm asked that question. This is your favorite movie? I'm like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Brian, I hope you like it on a rewatch. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'd say that. Yeah. I'm excited to rewatch it. Yeah, I mean, I have, I guess, a similar story to Marcella where like, I definitely, I remember vividly seeing that in a theater when I was still in high school and I did one of my, like, double features I did back in the day of not paying for a ticket um, for the second time, um, where I watched uh, Scott Pilgrim, and I loved it so much. And I was weirdly also anticipating, I guess a big thing we should mention is the other movie that came out on that same weekend that kind of buried Scott Pilgrim was the initial Expendables movie. That was, like, oh, that was the competition. Oh, I remember that. Um, and I saw both of them, and I the, the come down from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World at, like, you know, I was, like I said, in high school, so I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen! <laughs> this is so great! As, like, a young film nerd who was, like, in love with, like, the Edgar Wright, like, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz were, like, my favorite movies at that time. And then go, co- the come down from that to The Expendables, which is just, like, the worst misuse of such, like, in theory, a great idea of, like, all the action stars are here. Oh, this is what it is? Oof. Yeah, this is barely a thing. You just unlocked a memory in my head, Thomas. <laughs> uh, you can see me grimacing uh, on, on screen here, but oh god, I, I remember that now. The Expendables coming out that same weekend, and I think Scott Pilgrim came in at number five that weekend in terms of box office. So, woof. That's what I was saying. Yeah, we, we could be having Scott Pilgrim four right now. 
But no. That's not happening. Right. <laughs> we got one and done. One masterpiece is enough. Yeah. My thing with that movie is, as of right now, I, I should rewatch it. It's been, I don't know, about five years since I rewatched it. I think that's one of the best supporting casts I've ever seen in a fucking movie. Absolutely. With yeah. just yeah. like like fucking Culkin, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, like just Jason Schwartzman. Everyone is so on point in that movie. I think Michael Sarah is also very on point, but I always I've struggled recently with just the, the Scott Pilgrim character not necessarily being unlikable. That's not my problem. It's just that like I don't know if I give a shit about Scott as a character really at all either way. And I think that's always been my like that was my struggle at least the last time I rewatched. I'd be curious to revisit it and see if I maybe have a bit more inclination to. It. I still really like that movie, um, but I think it kind of fits with. I talked with Brian about this before. Um, the non-Simon Pegg co-written Edgar Wright movies, I think, are his weakest movies. I think some are worse than others. Like, I like Baby Driver. Last time Soho was a movie that exists. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. But still, still definitely, I would say, of that crop, it's the best one, for sure. I mean, all I'll say is, I'm glad Scott Program exists. That's what I'll say about <laughs> Edgar Wright. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Edgar Wright, I love you, but I'm glad that happened. Um, I'm still looking forward to your next project, Edgar. So thank you. <laughs> well, um, on that note, uh, let's briefly repeat our titles here. Um, in case, you know, you missed them, you want to add to your watch list or whatever. Uh, Brian. Uh, yes, I had the Ivan Reitman 1988 film twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. <laughs> uh, and I had, uh, the, underrated little meta horror comedy that you all should seek out underrated gem of uh, the final girls from 2015 and i had edgar wright's 2010 eight typical box office bomb scott program versus the world and uh, now we'll be doing the close of this show this uh, big gun of an episode that's been going on for quite a bit but we want to thank some people of course like we want to thank um burial grid for doing our intro and outro music purchase this music at burialgrid.com uh, thanks to um, Michelle Kyle for our artwork. I'll find her at MishKyle96 um, on Twitter. I'll still say that's what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fo- follow her on Twitter. Um, and then thanks, of course, to our patrons over at patreon.com slash cinema number two letter, uh, where every, you know, month you just donate $1 and you get access to a bunch of stuff, including, you know, we'll be going on our uh, hiatus for a bit until the end of September when we come back with new episodes. But in the meantime, so much on the Patreon that you can listen to of Brian and I reviewing recent uh, movies like uh, we would have released fairly recently our TMNT Mutant Mayhem audio review. Uh, you can hear us talk about that. Um, also, at some point during August, we'll have our uh, bonus episode that we're planning on doing, which is an audio commentary for Shrek. That's what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> we're going to be doing a full-length audio commentary on uh, the redefining genre classic Shrek. Absolutely. Uh, that we'll have plenty of things to say about, I'm sure. And uh, then also, you know, around the time this episode is going to be coming up, uh, we should announce that um, our next series, which we're going to be doing is going to be horror-driven, because it's going to come out, like, uh, late September is our first episode, run through October, all the way to Halloween, if everything goes well, will be the last episode of that season, and we're still contemplating the schedule, but as we've talked about before, patrons get to vote for a certain 
uh, one for every miniseries, at least one episode. And uh, for that horror miniseries, you all get to vote for the end for new pick, so the, a recent release from the last couple years. And uh, you all get to pick between the 2020 uh, Lee Winnell-directed Invisible Man movie, um, and then the very recent, like earlier this year, horror movie, Skin and which, oh. I know, Marcelo's seen both of these. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I, I, I'm a patron of, uh, yes. of, uh, of, of you guys, and I'm already having a hard time deciding between those two. Those two are great picks, in my opinion. Yes, I'll be very curious, because I know, uh, Brian, you like that Invisible Man from 2020, but I know you haven't seen Skin of a Rink. You want to, but you're kind of yeah, a bit so, scared. <laughs> so I love, absolutely ad- adore the Invisible Man from from 2020 that's a great movie but my, my biggest thing with skin and Marink is that i like i've only heard people talk about it on on twitter and all i can see is it it sounds just like scary like house stuff and like you know kind of like scary stuff in the dark which is sort of stuff that like in real life actually scares me like i still have an irrational <laughs> fear fear of the dark uh so oh, it was boy. it was a movie I, yeah i had watched like i had seen like screenshots and people talking about it and i was like mm, maybe i'll just skip that one but i will be willing to sit through it if, if the patron patrons decide for it i mean I, can i just say i mean if if you end up doing skin Marink, uh brian i mean it's a movie that i saw in theaters and I would have trouble seeing it at home because <laughs> it is an experience that I think the pro- proper way to see it at home would be uh, at midnight, close all the blinds, you know, uh, turn off all the lights, turn on the movie and, uh, you know, throw away your phone and just experience it. I think that's the only way to do it at home. But if that sort of stuff gets you, though, watch it at noon <laughs> and, 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 and do it that way. But, yeah, I, I'm excited either way. Those two are great movies. I, I'll just add, as a jaded horror fan who, like, loves horror, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I've seen a lot of horror movies. Not a lot scares me. Uh, Skin and Rink literally had me pulling, like, child shit of, like, I had a little wool cap because it was cold back in February. And I was just hiding behind it at one point. <laughs> I just, it, it, it got me down to like that sensory level of just like, oh god, this is so fucking creepy. <laughs> uh, but that'll be on the patrons' hands. Uh, you'll have, you know, it'll probably be the Wednesday after this comes out. If you're listening, uh, the 16th of August, it'll be up for a couple days until uh, through the weekend is usually how uh, we'll be going with the polls. So uh, you'll have that amount of time to vote. Um, and, uh, yeah, all that for $1 over the Patreon. But, of course, we also want to thank, speaking of patrons, as he so mentioned here, uh, Marcelo, thank you so much for being the first guest, yeah. breaking open that, that guest jar. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Please plug yourself. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Let me say thanks, guys, for having me on. This was fun. Uh, you can find me, hey, over at TalkFilmSociety.com. Um, check out all the podcasts there including this one cinema to the letter good job uh listeners for listening to this uh but yeah you can listen to it pod to be you uh hosted by manish mathor and also the podcast i do with siobhan irving um we were recently doing uh, a, a little series on summer blockbusters you know uh and uh i as of this recording i just released our barbenheimer episode where we talked about barbie and oppenheimer Go back, listen to that catalog of episodes and all the rest over at talkfilmsociety.com. And also Patreon. Go to patreon.com 
slash talk film society for bonus episodes commentaries uh thomas features on a on the 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 malignant commentary we did yes um, months and months ago but yes check that out over on our patreon and that's it thanks guys yes i want to shout out with uh, those recent episodes i listened to not the barbenheimer one but the uh speaking of two movies that came out on the same date of the dark knight and mama mia oh yeah which was a very interesting episode i was very yeah. fascinated by that one well, thank you. Yeah, uh, me and Siobhan have fun. So, and that was a fun episode. And I think the Barbenheimer one is just just as fun. Um, so, yeah, thanks, thanks, Thomas. And on that note, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'll still say <laughs> Twitter um, for now. Um, over there um, at Cinema Two Letter, and I guess any other social media platforms we might go to in the future. Perhaps, maybe by the time our next miniseries starts <laughs> and things are just like unusable on a certain website that's called Twitter. Um, and then, uh, oh, once again, any place at cinema number two letter. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. But also, very recently, I managed to get an invite code for Blue Sky. I'm over there now. Damn. Finally, I managed to get the. I, I have the in case of emergency break glass just in time. Really, it was like right before the X thing got announced. I'm like, woof! Thank God this fucking happened. Um, but uh, any social media platform, pretty much, I'm at not the who's Tommy. And I also do some writing both at marianithomas.wordpress.com and over at uh, film-cred.com. And you know, shout out while um, I'm talking about film cred, I do do the film cred review show. I produce that. And Hyle Peralta hosts it. I will be on the show, actually speaking. I'm usually behind the camera on that, but or behind the mic that's muted. Whatever. Um, over there, where uh, we'll be talking about sort of a summer post-mortem. Because uh, I do this with Hyle, like, the last couple of years, where, like, at the beginning of the summer, we predict about, like, oh, what's going to, like, be interesting, what's going to be good. And this is the first time we're going to be doing a post-mortem and... Of all the summers to do a post-mortem on, this is a fascinating one. <laughs> I'm sure. So I'm sure uh, she says very interesting things, and I'm there, too. But... You can listen to that and become a patron over for Film Cred. And one last time, since uh, it's this will be the last episode of August, I will be at Dragon Con once again over in downtown Atlanta. I do panels usually over there. Now, I'm probably going to put in an audio clip right here of my schedule that's finalized by <laughs> this time in August. Yes, that is accurate, Nostra Thomas. Hello, everyone. Uh, as my past self mentioned, this is Thomas from the future, uh, specifically August 14th. 2023, uh, here to just put in a little soundbite just to tell you my schedule for the upcoming Dragon Con, which will be in downtown Atlanta, Labor Day weekend, August 30th through September 4th, um, and I'll be doing six panels. Uh, keep in mind, most of these will be at the Westin, one of the five major hotels, uh, for on the horror track, uh, most of these will be. Um, most of them will be in the Peachtree 1-2 at the Westin, which is a specific location. I go up a couple escalators, but you'll find us there. Um, and I'll mention there's one slightly different room for a, one of these panels that's like right beneath uh, the Peachtree Westin. But here we go. On uh, Thursday, August 31st at 7 p.m., you got No Return, the Yellow Jackets fan panel all about the Showtime show that's all the rage with the kids, the Melanie Linskys and Christina Ricci's and Juliette Lewis's and whatnot. Uh, it'll be, once again, at 7 p.m., August 31st. I'll be talking all about Yellow Jackets, then on Friday, September 1st at 4 o'clock p.m., I'll be doing 2023 in Horror of the Year so far. So any recent horror movies that have come out since January 1st, 2023, uh, that tickle our fancy we'll be talking about, you can add some of those to your watch list if you uh, come over on September 1st at 4 o'clock p.m. for that. Uh, then 
The next one I have, Friday, September 1st at 10 p.m., is Living Among Us, colon, Good Omens 2. So, the second season of Good Omens, uh, that will be at the Chastain 1-2, which is right below the Peachtree 1-2, uh, as part of the Urban Fantasy track. I guess Marcelo J. Pico might be interested by that name. Yes, the Chastain, kind of like Jessica. Um, she has not come over yet to Dragon Con. We would love to host a panel with her, specifically in that room if possible. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be September 1st at 10 o'clock p.m., just below the Peach Tree. Then the rest of these will be at the Peach Tree 1-2, which includes uh, Saturday, September 2nd at 4 o'clock, uh, Decoding M. Night Shyamalan. All about M. Night, you know, your six senses, your splits, but also some of the non-horror movies like, you know, The Unbreakable, Glass. Just talking about all his uh, movies and decoding what that guy you know, kind of uh, his his specific style uh, we'll be talking about. From, like, praying with anger to, all the way to uh, knock at the cabin. You know, all of it's eligible to be talked about. Uh, once again, on Saturday, September 2nd at 4 o'clock p.m. Then, Breaking Taboo, colon, a discussion on classic horror movie censorship. That'll be Saturday, September 2nd at 8.30. Uh, so we'll be talking about roughly pre-MPAA uh, censorship of horror films. So, you know, earlier stuff from you know, the silent era all the way to, like, Hammer classics and such. Uh, and that'll be, once again, Saturday, September 2nd, 8.30 p.m. And then my last panel, um, which will be on Sunday, September 3rd at 7 o'clock p.m., uh, Burn to Light, colon, Vampires in Classic Cinema. Once again, within that rough uh, 1968 being the the cutoff date of, uh, you know, just vampiric depictions. Uh, so you'll be able to see any of those, and uh, if you want to either scroll back uh, and make sure you got all the dates right, or just download the DragonCon app and look up my name as a presenter, you'll be able to find all those panels I'm doing, add them to your schedule, make it a lot easier for you just to download that app and uh, do that. And also keep in mind, if there are any changes, because this was tentative as of right now, as of August 14th, so if there are any changes, uh, they'll be noted in the DragonCon app. If I'm on a panel, if I'm not on a panel, anything's been added or subtracted, you'll be able to find that out. And now for the rest of the season finale, as previously recorded, take it away. Uh, come say hi. Love hearing people uh, who have any interest in what I do. Uh, yeah, you can find me on you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm going down with the shit boys uh, <laughs> at at uh, b r y a n d r a d e uh, three. And then you can also follow me on Letterboxd, see what movies and lists I'm making uh, at my name, Brian Andrade, uh, A-N-D-R-A-D-E is my last name. And uh, yeah, follow me on there. And uh, for more of us, uh, you know, stay, to stay tuned for the next uh, miniseries where we're going to be doing horror, just, you know, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. And if you're listening on uh, Marcelo's Great Talk Film Society Network, uh, like he said, listen to all the other great shows that are on there. Um, and you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean feed for various episodes of this show, this whole first season, and then also all the stuff um, from Double H Double Bill prior to that. And nothing else, if you can't uh, support the show monetarily, that's cool. The free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility. Uh, maybe if you are rich and opulent um, and you want to donate to the Patreon and, say, put our logo on a big, giant fucking spaceship in the sky, you know, we'll take that, too. That's That'd a nice cool. gesture. That might help for us, right? Yeah, uh, that will be great. If, if you have that money, please do. Um, and then, yeah. So, uh, like I said, this is the end of this blockbuster miniseries. Can you believe it, Brian? The season's over, and we're going to we be taking it. You know, our main feed break. That's true, we did it. Um, and we're going to foolhardily try more. 
Um, as I said, yep. uh, the first episode for the horror stuff will be coming out September 26th, and we'll finalize. We might put out like a little bonus thing at some point on the feed to announce maybe what our yeah. titles will be. That should yeah, that'd be expect fun. that maybe around like September at some point. Uh, you know, we'll announce that as we get closer to the date, and we'll reveal our schedule and everything. Uh, but yeah, until then, everybody. Um, it's time for the curtains to close and for us to leap out of the screen or your and pod or your phone, I guess. Is that what we're doing? Is death is going to leap out of everyone's phones right now. Hasta <laughs> <laughs> la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Sure. Hasta yeah. la vista, babies. Yeah.